Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Well, it's Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Prendeville Show until Friday week. We may forget it, says the Daily Star in reference to last month. It was, in fact, the worst. If you were thinking it, and I certainly was, miserable May was the wettest and coldest on record at some Irish weather stations, with rainfall above average nationwide. Met Aaron's weather statement for May reveals southern and eastern counties were the soggiest last month. Roaches Point in Cork recorded its wettest May on record, with rainfall 241% above average. A Met Aaron spokesman said May was a cool and wet month everywhere, with persistent and slow-moving troughs of low pressure over Ireland much of the month. Well, we're in June now. Let's hope for better things. The first Viking site in Cork wasn't where it was first thought. Two distinct waves of Vikings settled in what is now Cork City and is now believed to be the first settlement uh, was not created in South Main Street but in North Main Street. Uh, new theories on the arrival of the Norsemen in Cork are to be discussed by British and Irish academics at a free one-day webinar taking place on June the 19th. So says the examiner. Racing pigeon flies 700 kilometres off course. Uh, off course. Yeah, coup. Uh, kind Connor saves injured bird in Scotland. An Irish racing pigeon ended up in a long-haul flight after losing its bearings and landing more than 700 kilometres away on a Scottish island. The high-flying bird had been in a race in Skibbereen in County Cork on Friday and went the wrong way. After a falcon attack, the exhausted pigeon was discovered injured on the remote St Kilda archipelago three days later. But a sharp-eyed Northern Irish wildlife conservationist, Connor McKinney, was working on the tiny islands and spotted a ring on the bird's leg. Uh, I guess that's how they're identified. And uh, it, we got it safe into a box and went to the Racing Pigeon Association. Got in touch. Its owner was a guy from Derry. And uh, you could have knocked me for six. He said, I don't believe it was the guy that uh, lived seven miles down the road from my family home. Such a small world. Such a shocker. And the bird has been returned home. Now, uh, in the uh, morning papers, we are also looking at why two apples a day will keep the doctor away. And so says the Daily Mail. An apple a day may not be enough to keep the doctor away anymore, but eating two is, a study suggests. Researchers looked at data for more than 7,675 adults comparing their daily fruit intake with the chance of developing type 2 diabetes over five years. And the average age here was 54. Uh, munching at least two apples, bananas or other fruits every day was associated with a 36% reduced risk of developing diabetes compared with eating less than half a piece per day. I don't think any of us eat enough fruit. Musk charges into the restaurant industry. What will he do next? This is the Times UK edition. Tom Knowles reporting. After revolutionising space travel and the electric car market, Elon Musk has his eye on a more traditional recipe for success. The billionaire appears to be pushing ahead with 1950s-style company-themed restaurants to operate alongside the charging stations of Tesla, his electric car company. Tesla has a network of public car charging stations called superchargers, which can regenerate a vehicle's battery uh, up to about 80% in roughly 40 minutes. And I suppose the way he's thinking is, what do people do for that 40 minutes? Why don't we sell them some food and beverages and things? So the company's in Palo Alto in California and has yet to capitalize on this 40-minute window of opportunity. So it's filed an application for a patent in the United States to trademark its uh, distinctive name, the distinctive T logo, and stylized version of its name to create restaurants alongside the charging points. Now, a big bone of contention yesterday, lots of discussion around the revenue uh, collecting property tax, and there's going to be a crackdown, according to the uh, Independent, on low home valuations. 
Revenue will be tasked with closely monitoring home valuations, with the government putting their trust in homeowners to accurately value their houses under major new reforms of the property tax system. Taxpayers will be asked to fairly value their homes using a range of resources, including the property price register and property ads ahead of the November deadline for the revised scheme. Homeowners who are found to have undervalued their homes will be forced to pay backdated taxes with interest. Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue said if the Revenue Commissioners become aware of issues in relation to declarations being put forward that are inaccurate, they will follow up on it. However, he said the vast majority of people have given correct values when paying the tax in the past. Fire maniac targets kids' hospital. So says the front page of the Mirror today. A serial arsonist has set up to 15 fires at the new National Children's Hospital in a week. And the Irish Mirror can reveal seven of the blazes occurred on the same day at the Dublin site. Uh, arsonist, 15 blazes. Uh, it began randomly and has continued for a number of days now. It's causing real concern. Uh, Guardia are investigating the fires, uh, the first one of which occurred last Wednesday. Seven of the blazes happened the following day. Guy setting seven fires. Don't you think he could be caught? Arrests alert ahead of bank holiday checks. Drug driving arrests have surpassed those for drink driving for the first time. And Gardaí will be targeting rogue motorists who abuse substances uh, this bank holiday weekend. Uh, that was the defiant message from Assistant Garda Commissioner Paula Hillman as the Force and the Road Safety Authority launched their joint road safety campaign yesterday. Uh, she said, this is actually the first year our operational arrest figures show we've made more arrests this year for drug driving than drink driving. So the first five months of the year, uh, in that we've uh, arrested 1,544 people for driving with drugs in their system and 1,444 for alcohol in their system. That's a hundred more uh, who are drug driving. And that, uh, that those trends for the increase in drug driving is a continuation from what we saw last year when we had a 61% increase with over 3,500 arrests for people driving with drugs in their system. Leave our school alone, the front page of the Echo, a display of unity against the proposed amalgamation of three Northside schools. Any proposed amalgamation of three Northside secondary schools has been subject to criticism from parents and students uh, attending St. Vincent's Secondary School. Uh, Sarah Horgan reporting that some parents and students expressed their opposition at a public display of unity outside the school yesterday where they were joined by members of staff. And the Echo uh, reported on this way back in April uh, and has revealed that the trustees from Northmont, St. Vincent's and North Prez schools were in talks to explore uh, together current and future Catholic education provision in North Cork City. And it's understood that these discussions could focus on emerging of the three schools. Dr. No, Tony Houlihan, compares crowd to an All-Ireland final. The CMO said his online post wasn't any moral judgment. Dr. Tony Houlihan has defended describing crowds out socialising last weekend as shocking and said it was like outside Crow Park on All-Ireland final day. The chief medical officer has insisted he would post his tweet again despite the backlash. His comments come as public spaces in Cork and Dublin have been blocked off with barriers in a bid to prevent people congregating over the bank holiday weekend. We're still on target. Neffet is optimistic, but the variance and uh, cases level in Limerick is a worry. Ireland remains on target to lift restrictions in July as our COVID situation remains stable, the chief medical officer has said. However, Dr. Tony Hullahan warned that if people move ahead of the reopening by getting together in crowds, 
it could put our progress in beating the virus at risk. So I think if we concentrate and hold firm for one more weekend, we could be just about there with the opening uh, of outside hospitality at least. This comes as Dr. Houlihan doubled down on the criticism of throngs of people in uh, Dublin that he was very vocal about over the weekend. And on that subject, in the Echo as well, the port plans to fence off part of the Keys. We mentioned this on the programme yesterday. The Port of Cork plans to fence off sections of the city keys this week in a move one councillor has described as counterproductive. The authority said that following recent large public gatherings of the city keys, it's decided to fence off a number of areas in the interest of public safety and to be able to accommodate the port's commercial shipping traffic in a safe and efficient manner. The fencing will be erected this week ahead of the June Bank holiday weekend and will remain in place until further Notice And uh, on the subject of opening, reopened hotels roll out the red carpet. Uh, this is a report from The Echo as well. Picture of the Clayton Hotel there. And they're welcoming Lily and Roy O'Sullivan. Uh, and uh, they're uh, just celebrating getting their second jab. Hotels in Cork reopened yesterday following a further easing of uh, pandemic restrictions. Among the hotels that welcomed back guests was the Clayton Hotel Cork where Lily, 68, and Roy O'Sullivan, who's 70, were among the first guests. The pair are from Black Rock and planned a night away in the City Hotel to kickstart their summer with style and to celebrate their vaccinations, the end of cocooning, and also Roy's postponed 70th birthday. It's brilliant. We've been so looking forward to this. It's our first break in eight, nearly 18 months. And I started packing about a week ago, said Lily. Asked what they were looking forward to most about their stay. Roy said... I'm looking forward to being able to sit in the restaurant for dinner tonight. I've missed that. And of course, I'm looking forward to a couple of pints of Murphy's. Roisin Burke reporting in the front page of The Echo. Now, uh, just out of the uh, newspaper stories and before we uh, get on to the business of the day, let me just read this out. Good morning. There was an awful incident at Inch Strand last Sunday. There were a few kids and their mothers who got into difficulty as they were dragged out by the current and they were struggling. I can't stop thinking about them and I hope they're all okay. Also for this man that was very brave and went in to rescue them, who then himself was struggling as the waves and currents were too strong. He bravely did what he could and brought a few kids to shore. Thankfully, another few lads who looked like strong swimmers came to the rescue for the remaining kids. It was all very traumatizing and only for getting the attention of all these heroes it could have been a very different ending. Please, just to give these heroes a special mention as they put their own lives in danger and also for all the kids involved, I just hope that they're okay. Just to please remind people of how dangerous the sea can be and if you're at the seaside, please be very vigilant for people that may need help also. Uh, lifeguards should be at every beach as they're really important. They too should get a special mention and thank you uh, for the, and, and a thank you for their service, so says Patricia Malone. So if anybody can shed any light on that, exactly what happened, exactly who went in to, uh, or generally who went in to save them, uh, obviously there are no reports uh, that made the paper, so I can only assume all is well. That ends well. Uh, but if anyone can shed any light on that incident at Inchstrand last Sunday, we would be delighted with you. And uh, we got a text here as well. And, you know, you just can't win. Uh, we were trying to support locally yesterday. And here comes a text. Fair play to Mick, making the most of his time on air, promoting his favourite hotels and restaurants. Plenty of gigs will come from it and no paying for meals for Mick for a good while. Yet criticising the politicians for parish pump politics. Uh, hashtag hypocrisy. No name on that one, but happy to talk to you on air if you want to come on. Uh, number one, I don't do gigs. I never have done gigs for more than a few years now. Uh, and number two, I haven't visited any of the hotels in question uh, for quite some time. I don't expect to get anything for free from them. Number three, I don't pick. 
uh, who uh, we speak to on air here. That's what the production team do, uh, and that's uh, what comes up in front of me, and I make the best of it. But you're entitled to your opinion. If you think I'm getting gigs, which I don't do anymore, or meals, which I wouldn't take anyway, then you're entitled to that opinion. Uh, and uh, I'll continue to criticise the politicians for parish pump politics. Thank you very much. The Neil Prenderville Show. Now, we've got such a great promotion this week that I want to give it justice. And uh, before we get to the business of the day, I want to mention Musgrave Marketplace, an Irish family business passionate about supporting jobs in our local economy. And Irish hospitality needs the publicity we give it and the support that uh, Musgrave Marketplace gives it. And we have today a Sutton's Bar and Bistro at the Rochestown Park Hotel, €150 Euro voucher to give away, courtesy of Musgrave Marketplace. So this is a competition with which we open the lines just before 12 midday. Uh, so don't call just now but we do like to give you a few listens to the tease okay so here's thursday's one there are three theme tunes in here and these are the ones we need you to identify later on when we open up the lines and you could win that 150 euro voucher Ooh, getting a little harder only heard two is there three in there okay one more listen then we'll come back to it in the next hour okay That's our competition for today. We'll open the lines maybe just around five minutes to 12 o'clock with Musgrave Marketplace. Uh, all of our daily winners, we've had three so far, will be in with a chance to win a 500 euro voucher for the Brehan Hotel in, uh, in Killarney. And of course, uh, tomorrow's prize will be Ramen, 150 euros. But today, and for the second time, and thank you, uh, thank you, Tom Tobin, for the support there, Sutton's Bar and Bistro at Rochestown Park Hotel. We'll have 150 euro voucher to give away. Let's begin with a good news story and uh, let's talk to Nikki on line one. Hi Nikki. Hi Mick, how are you? I'm very good. Now you're from the Quidju Homeless Outreach Group. Yeah, it's Shola Quidju. Shola, Shola Quidju. And we were yeah. trying to uh, organise something when we spoke to you during the week, uh, looking for a homeless man to stay in a and b We thought, you know, as gracious as we were to try, that was going to be a bit of a long shot. But I think you've got some good news for us. Yeah, another um, homeless outreach group, uh, Street Angels, um, secured a bed for him in a hostel last night. Okay. Um, and luckily, they can help pay for three nights for him to stay there. Um, and we're doing our best to raise funds so that we can take over the payments ourselves. Um uh, just to keep him there till his bed is available in rehab. And he will be two weeks sober tomorrow. Yeah, because when we spoke, he was just coming up on 12 days. Now, that may not yeah. seem like a long time, but to a guy in his position, it's probably like an eternity. Oh, it is. Like, it is. Like, even last night, um, we spent a good bit of the night with him. We were in, we had our outreach table out last night um, and we had him with us and he was just so uncomfortable, you know, just being around um, the whole scene in town and, you know, being with friends of his that would be drinking and stuff. He didn't like it. He did not like it. He does not want to drink anymore. He really doesn't. Okay, so it's not exactly so a and b you found for him. No. You've got the help of another outreach group who uh, who will cover accommodation for three nights, is it? For three nights, yeah. Okay, and that's the essential bridge you needed between hospital and rehab? Yeah, yeah. It was to get him a bed. We really, really needed to get him a bed. We didn't... He just could not go back on the streets. Mm -hmm. 
how is how is he doing? I know you probably can't comment specifically, but in in general, how is he doing mentally and physically? And do you think do you think that steely determination you told me about is still there to stay off the drink? Oh, it it totally is. It really, really is. Like even late last night, he was still texting saying that he can't believe himself how far he has come. And I, I actually mentioned to one of the girls, if you would ask me before this week what colour eyes he had, I couldn't have t- told you. But I've noticed he actually has lovely blue eyes. Okay. That's how well he looks. Do you know that you can actually see his proper eyes now and he has a smile on his face. He looks healthy. Mm-hmm. And I suppose as his system is detoxing, it's also giving him that little extra positive energy mentally and physically. Oh, it is definitely. Absolutely. Like he's, he can't, he's looking forward to getting into rehab and continuing his program and getting himself mentally, mentally well as well. You okay. know, how, how long will that program be, Nikki? There and um, well, we're, we have actually two options for him, um, and one of them could be twelve months. Okay, so he could be in full time care for twelve months, is it? Yeah. Okay. But look, it's all good news anyway. I, I'm not sure if we helped, but if we did, delighted that uh, we could do something. And you have him now for three nights in that essential bridge between being released in hospital, from hospital and into the rehab programme. Uh, yeah. I did get one text. How could you visit him in hospital when there's no hospital visits? Like you said the other day, we you went to visit him. We you were can, standing is it? outside. Oh, standing outside. We standing okay. outside. You always get somebody asking? I know, yeah. There's always one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well done, Nikki. So he's doing fantastic and we really appreciate you giving us the time. And I will, I will update you. Okay, because we, we we would be very interested if we can offer any help, to, if we can get one person through the system, uh, you know, and, and all that was really needed, uh, the bridge between success and failure could be those three nights. Yeah, and like if anybody is able to, in a position to help, you know, even pay for one night for him, it would be really appreciated. Okay. Uh, a citizen of Cork, he's doing his very best to break the shackles of addiction to alcohol. And, uh, you know, you can't be on the streets or that that won't work. And then it's everybody back to square one, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. You know, and he does not, he does not want to go down that road. He really, really doesn't. I've never seen somebody so determined, actually. Mm-hmm. Did he know that he no. made the airwaves? Did he know that we're all rooting for him and that uh, he's got a lot of positive he he, support? No, yeah? he did. He was with me while I was on the radio to the on the radio to you the other day mm-hmm. so he knew and he he um, actually heard you saying congratulations to him and it made he just got the biggest smile again on his face when he heard that Okay well maybe in you the know. fullness of time when you know when he's you know when he's more together and more confident and more able uh, maybe he'll come on himself maybe talk to Neil in the future or something Yeah maybe hopefully And how can people donate because uh, we've got a very um, big hearted audience here how can people donate to help this boy if they want to donate even to my own um, PayPal, which is what we use for all our donations for the group, um, they can do that. Or That's on an email address now, is it? Yeah. What's the email address? It's all lowercase. It's Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, King, K-I-N-G. That's a lot of Ks. I know, yeah. <laughs> um 
nikkiking78.gmail.com. So N-I-K-K-I-K-I-N-G-78 at gmail.com. Uh, yes, that's it. And that supports everything and that, that uh, your group does. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's hope we get some donations. Nikki King seventy eight at gmail dot com. Uh, you're doing Trojan work. You're doing noble work. And once again, we salute you, Nikki, and pass on our Thank further you. congratulations on the extended time uh, between him and the last drink. And let's hope it continues. I will. I will indeed. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks, Mick. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. It's 28 minutes past nine. We're back in a moment. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Just turning 9.30. Good morning to you. And Tim Bracken, thanks for holding. Hiya, Tim. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, you feel left behind in the vaccine or a cohort of your compatriots yeah, feel that way. I, I, well, and the expression I've been using with my cohorts and when we've been talking about, we've been dumped upon to a certain extent. The over 60s. I mean, we were told we were getting the AstraZeneca whether we liked it or not, and that's fine, and we took it. But now, then there was a question that was going to be 16 weeks for the next one, and then there was, now it was reduced to 12. Now, there's talk about reducing it to 8, whether that's going to happen. But the thing is, people younger than us, in their 50s, who got the Pfizer's, you know, not a week after me, they now have their second appointment next week. And I met a friend yesterday... Uh, he's 51, and he was just coming out of the city hall, but he came home from the city hall, and he got the Johnson. So, like, he's fully done. But, like, the 60s are the vulnerable people. We're given the AstraZeneca and the Zeneca, and the only reason that there was a delay of these 12 to 16 weeks is simply housekeeping. Because mm-hmm. when, when these vaccines all came out, and we heard at the end of last year when the vaccines were, it was going to be three to four weeks between doses. But, like, we've been kind of, I think we've been put in the shelf. Well, I'm, I'm aware that Labour Party leader Alan Kelly has called on the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, to explain how he's going to respond to advice in, uh, on the manner in which the AstraZeneca vaccine can be administered. Because new advice came in yesterday from NIAC, which is the National Immunisation Advisory Committee, on possibly reducing the gap between AstraZeneca doses. Uh, and this has obviously raised calls for further clarity. Now, it's 16 weeks and a lot of time has, exp- uh, has elapsed between, uh, you know, are you feeling safe Absolutely. with the AstraZeneca anymore? Well, no, but the thing is, you see, with the AstraZeneca, we were told, I mean, at the beginning, that there was going to be, you know, we're talking about last December, you know, when the vaccines were just coming out, that it was going to be three to four weeks between doses. Mm-hmm. But then there was a delay in getting AstraZeneca in. So I think it's, it's a housekeeping thing that they pushed it out for the 12 to 16 weeks. But I mean, I think it could be reduced at this stage. AstraZeneca is not being given out to the younger age groups. So there must be plenty of supplies left for the six-year-olds. And we should be brought back for a second dose. Maybe it's something they could do, Tim, when they bring the uh, the pharmacists to bear on the problem, on, you know, on the problem of getting the, the vaccine the vaccines fully distributed. Possibly, possibly. But I mean, the thing is, it is of concern to people of my age. I'm 66. And I mean, the thing is, like, I'm lucky I'm a healthy person and I don't have any underlying issues. But still, I'm told that I'm in a vulnerable category at 66. Anybody over 65 is regarded as being vulnerable. And, like, they, they should have ensured, or we should be ensured, that we um, would have got our vaccines, you know, at the same time as others. Because there's a huge pressure for opening up. Things are opening up. Like the, the, the hotels are open. The outdoor drinking is tomorrow, etc. And that Indian v- variety is around the corner. It's here. And, you know, it's just, and I'm only 30% vaccinated against that. Mm-hmm. Whereas at least if I had my second dose, I'd be up in the 80s. And people of my age, I mean, 
there are lots of people in their 60s who do have underlying issues. They do have problems. So they're quite concerned. I mean, all the over 70s that I know now, they've all had their seconds, so that's fine. But like we're being sort of left out or are we falling through the loop? Because the 50s, the 50s are going to be well ahead of us. I mean, I'm not going to be doubly vaccinated until the beginning of August. Mm, I'm just wondering, where, where, where can we go for charity here? I don't know. Maybe the Department of Health or maybe Nesset or somebody. But, I mean, like we were all led to believe, and particularly, I mean, AstraZeneca, we were led to believe, that was a kind of a three to four weeks between the doses. Mm-hmm. And then I understood, because AstraZeneca, there were problems with supply and everything like that. That's right. So, therefore, I think it was a housekeeping thing that they pushed it out. And because they did it in Britain, they said, you know, that we can now go to 12 weeks with it. But that is purely housekeeping. It's not medical. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if, uh, what correlation there is with, you know, normal inoculations for travel. Is, is it the TB or whatever you get if you're going, say, to Asia? Uh, and you, you get the dose and off you go on your holiday, say, three weeks later. And mm-hmm. uh, if you come back within a year, you're covered for kind of a year. If you come back within a year, yes. you get what's called a booster. But you're essentially right. protected for the full year and then the booster will give you 10 years. So the second right. doses are really to extend protection. And I think, well, you know, not, not, notwithstanding the Indian variant, you probably are pretty well protected. Now, I know you're well, probably only 30% protected for the Indian variant, and that's a huge worry. That's a big worry, and particularly now with things, as I say, everything is opening up, and now there's pressure to open up, you know, uh, travel within the common travel area with Britain. Like, Britain, the cases are rising, and it's the Indian variant is pushing it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the thing is, once we start having unlimited travel between here and the United Kingdom, but therefore, I would think that the Indian is going to start spreading around here fairly quickly. I mean, we saw it at Christmas last year when we had the, 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 the amount of people who came in, you know, from, say, the UK for Christmas into this country, and that's what they call the English variety. That took off. But at least things were closing down then, and there was a lockdown. There was a lockdown, as you know, since St. Stephen's Day. But I mean, the thing is, and, and but now it's, it's the opposite now. Things are opening up. There's pressure for travel to open up. And there is going to be a lot of travel between here and Britain. Uh, and people in their mid-60s are feeling a bit left behind now. Completely, completely. Because I know people in their 50s who have got their second Pfizer. So they're okay. But, you know, but, but the people like us, we were told, no, tough, and that's it. And do you remember then, Leo Varadkar came out and he said, well, if you don't take your AstraZeneca when you're offered it, you go back to the back of the queue. I mean, treating us like children, which wasn't very pleasant. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I had no problem taking the AstraZeneca. But, I mean, the thing is, and if it, was going to, if, if it was needed to stretch it to vaccinate as many people as possible, but they're not using it anymore with the 50s and the 40s. So it should be available. We'll, we'll, we'll keep must, it in mind. and There must be stock somewhere. We'll keep it in mind and, and we'll, keep, we'll keep pushing to get some sort of answers somehow or other. Maybe Paddy O'Brien, who represents the over 60s very well, could write to his local TD or to the minister. Maybe. But we'll have uh, politicians on here and there during the programme uh, and we'll try and get some clarity on that for you, Tim, all right? Well, thank you very much, Mick. It's, it's just po- I wanted to highlight the issue. Point you know? very well made. You've got a lovely voice. Right. You should be a newsreader. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Maybe I should. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks a million, Tim. Good morning. Uh, that's Bye. Tim Bracken, who certainly doesn't sound 66. Let's go to line six into Graham. Good morning, Graham. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Now, you were one of the people who helped those girls that got in trouble on Inch Beach. This happened around 7 p.m. on Sunday. Tell me about it. Yeah, no. Uh, we were just in the water with my own kids. Um and I just looked back towards the beach and I seen a lot of a couple of people shouting and pointing so it had happened 
couple of weeks before when we were there as well, and um, I went over there. There was another two gentlemen as well doing did the same thing. They they ran in and and, and helped the kids and got them out. You know, how dangerous uh, was it? Do you think there was rip currents? Obviously, there was, there was, but like there is signs up and in fairness um, at the beach. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It can be dangerous if you're on that beach looking at the on the right hand side looking out um, to see. We'll say um, it can be dangerous. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah. No harm to, to uh, I suppose, if there was a lifeguard there, I suppose, you know, um, it, it would help. But, yeah, it can be dangerous at times, yeah. Okay. And, of course, you're no stranger to a little bit of publicity and notoriety yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you were the soldier that surprised the kids on the Late Late Toy Show. Tell us about that. Oh, God, that's a long time ago now. But, yeah, um, I, I came home from Mali. Um, I was serving with the uh, EU training mission out there. And um, I got the opportunity to come home and surprise my children um, at Christmas. Um, I think it was 2017 or 2018, I think. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a good, good time, I suppose. Brilliant, yeah. yeah. I remember it well. I mean, you're surprising your own children. But how is that sort of thing set up? Is, is there a contact between RTE or the Late Late Show and the Department of Defence or... Yeah, I, I, we're, we're, maybe were the toy show looking for somebody coming home to surprise their children because the internet is rife with uh, American servicemen and women coming home and surprising their family in certain situations. All that stuff goes viral. Yeah, no, it did. In fairness, um, it, it, even for for us, it, it took off. Like, but um, that was great. It was just the, the. I think there was a bit of a collaboration between our the Late Late Show and the Department of Defence, and they were looking for somebody that would be. I'm um, interested to come home and surprise their children. Um, so I put my name forward and heard nothing for a while. And all of a sudden, we were on a plane home and popped wow. out of the box. And there you go. <laughs> uh, you do you remember Noel Edmonds doing that, that kind of stuff so very, very well around Christmas time? Yeah, yeah. That was nice. And it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was really it was great for the kids, like, you know, and... To see it like so, I'm sure they'll all they'll always have it with them, you know. Yeah. And so now the, the mechanics of what happened: you were snuck into RT via a back door, and you hid in a box about five minutes before your kids were due to be on the program on stage. Uh, was that box wheeled out, or was it just there on stage, or what? No, the wheel, the, there was two guys then wheeled it out. Yeah. Um, onto the where the, the the lads were over um, showing off their the toys that they were supposed to be, you know, uh, testing out, and then. Um, yeah, they wheeled, they, wheeled, they wheeled the box out there, so I was only in the box for about two, a minute or two, I think, is all. Yeah, but you're so near and yet so far, then. You can't come out until the time is right, and your kids are literally a couple of feet from you. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice to hear the voices, you know, uh, doing, doing their thing over the, the other side of the stage. Like, you know, it was nice because I hadn't haven't seen them in about three months. So, uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty good, like, you know. And a great reaction when you came home as well. Bedlam, I heard, was it? Oh yeah, fabulous, fabulous! Uh, you know, pe- people were so kind. Um, you know what they said and what have you, like you know. So it was a really, really, really nice time now, for anything. Ah, uh, brilliant. Okay, so listen, well done to uh, everyone who was involved. And uh, we have uh, another text here, Graham. You might uh, be interested in hearing. Uh, my husband Roy came to the girls' rescue also on Sunday evening. The current had pulled her out and she was hanging on to her bodyguard. It took all my husband's strength to get out to her. Her friend was still out there, but was closer to the rocks, and she was helped by somebody else. It was very traumatizing for my two girls who were watching on, especially my 10-year-old, who thought her dad was gone a few times. I'd like to thank the teenage girls who were comforting her. My husband gave the girl back to her mum and left. It was a very quiet drive going home. Heroes all here, and uh, I'm delighted to be able to shine a little bit of a light on this. 
I you know, like again, I I only helped the, the the other two guys were you know the 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 nearly more than me. I just just helped out with the lads. Like it was, it's you know just a. I saw when you see someone in trouble, you, you try and help them out, you know. Um, but, oh, yeah, hum- no, humble to the end, Graham. It's not a Cork accent, though, is it? No, no, uh, Dublin originally, <laughs> but I'm I'm in Dublin. I'm in Cork longer than I was ever in Dublin, so. But I, I'll always be known as a a, a blow-in, so it's okay. We're well used to it. <laughs> Well, well done for everything that you do for your country and everything you do to you did to save lives there uh, over the weekend at Inch. And uh, best of luck. And as you say, your kids will always have that late, late show memory uh, as they grow up. No, thanks very much, mate. Thanks. Okay. Now, you're, of course, you're a sea adventurer as well, so you weren't afraid to go in. You, but it's still, it's still a mark of your bravery. So well done. That is Graham Burke, uh, who featured on the Late Late Toy Show surprising his kids and was involved in instrumental in saving lives at Inch Beach as girls were dragged out by a rip current. Uh, and it looks as though, as though it was traumatic for everyone involved. But look, thankfully, all's well that ends well. 17 minutes to 10. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red. FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prandival Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. We're getting calls and texts to say that Inch Beach is not ideal for swimmers and especially not ideal for children. So be very, very careful on Inch Beach and uh, just make sure you take care. Don't go too deep there. But calls and texts coming in saying it's not ideal at all uh, for swimmers and especially for kids. Now, a Cork TD was in tears as he told the Doyle of a traumatic maternity appointment experience. Have a listen to this. Minister, just before Christmas... My partner, Emer, had an emergency appointment with the early pregnancy unit because she was bleeding. I waited outside by the car park, looking up at the early pregnancy unit waiting room window, as close as I could get. Now, I'm glad to say everything was okay. But we, I tell you, Minister, we were worried. And if it was not, Emer would have had to face that appointment alone. She would have got that bad news alone. Earth-shattering, devastating news. Alone. And Minister, that's still the same today. If a couple in that situation went to any hospital worried about the same thing, today, tomorrow, next week, the partner would stay outside the hospital door. That is an outrage. Whatever about a year ago, Minister, hospital staff are vaccinated. Increasingly pregnant women are vaccinated. And many partners will be before long, too. And that's welcome. Partners and expected mothers are almost always, not always, but almost always, coming from the same household, presenting the same COVID risk. There is no justification. Women in labour need support. Full stop. The WHO said so. The CMO said so. When a woman has been through all that, God knows how many hours the labour might have been. And when they need to rest and recuperate, the partner that can help them do that, even allow little things like a shower, Little things like that, a rest, has to leave, has to go out the door. You need to stop dragging your heels on this, Minister, and force action, and stop presenting these minimal changes as enough. Women need their partners during all of labour, after birth, and at key appointments. Partners are not visitors, Minister, they're essential support. Cork South Central TD, Donica O'Leary, good morning. Good morning, Mickey. Very heartfelt, uh, very, very strong statements there. Uh, you know, all you guys are in the same job. How must St- uh, Stephen uh, Donnelly have felt... Uh, he's a rabbit in the headlights here uh, listening to this, but it deserved to be said, I have to say. Yeah, look, Stephen Donnelly came over and spoke to me afterwards and I, I said the same thing I said on the record. He gave me different kinds of excuses and things like that. But, you know, I think uh, what the government has been trying to do is trying to present 
really, really minimal access as the problem solved. And I think that's one of the things that prompted me. Like I've raised this issue since last September um, with the local hospital group, the Ireland South Hospital Group, and with the minister. Um, and I, I didn't really tell any way that it affected me and Emer and my family personally until just a short few weeks ago. And the reason I did that is, and look, I'm not special. I'm not any more entitled to be there than any other partner. Um, but I felt if if telling my story and my experience and using the platform of the voice that I have can try and generate some momentum behind this campaign, then I should do it to try and help. Because, like, look, I understand that during the course of this pandemic that there has been a need for restrictions and that, you know, there has been times that clinical risks have to be managed. But we're at a point now, and I said it in that clip there that you played, like, Medical staff are now vaccinated. The vast majority of women are soon going to be, or of pregnant women, are, are are getting the vaccine in the coming time. An awful lot of them have already, um, and increasingly, the men are going to be getting vaccinated. It's happening at a time like that. Uh, you know, you can go to a museum, you can go to a busy shopping centre from Monday, uh, you can go for a meal outdoors and a drink, and that's all good. And I'm welcome that, and I want to support those businesses who are back. But to say that at the same time that a that a partner can only be there for part of the labour, that they can only that they have to go away straight after the birth, and that they can't be there for crucial scans and crucial appointments, where women can get bad news, where women can get the most earth-shattering news, and I was emotional there thinking of that, um, not because of what happened, difficult though that was, but you know what could have happened. Okay, it's what could have happened, and it's what other people did experience, and I know that people experienced an awful lot worse than I did and I know that people have got some of the most desperate news possible uh, on their own because like a miscarriage can happen at any stage and it can happen unexpectedly and it can be a routine appointment that you find out this news so Donegal, I was in this seat last September. It's been that long since I covered here for Neil. And I'm not sure specifically, specifically if we spoke to you on this subject, but I know for two or three days this subject was absolutely huge and we spoke to somebody who was completely traumatised by the aloneness of what she had to face uh, and the lack of dignity that was afforded her. Uh, I'm not saying anything against the staff, uh, you know, of the COMH or anything like that. Uh, We know they're all at the coalface. We know they're all working uh, to to, to their utmost extent. But um, just um, coincidentally, when I took over on Monday, uh, I mentioned 4,000 people sat with no masks for a music awards called the Brits, right? Um, Not two weeks ago. We can have what's called elite sports Cheek to cheek, breath to breath. Uh, I'm thinking more specifically of the scrum in rugby. Uh, we can have shops, clothes shops, brand, big brand shops packed to the gills. And we cannot have two partners, two expectant parents in solidarity together, as you say, presenting the same COVID risk as one of the, one of the par- uh, partners uh, together for essential scans, uh, for bad news, and worst of all, for miscarriages. Yeah, no, look, I, I think it beggars belief. I'm not against any of those things. I think it's good and welcome that we've you know, made that progress and we can do that. And there's a lot of businesses opening up. I'm all for that. That's good. It's just that I don't understand why this has to be the very last thing to open up. That This has to be the very last thing that restrictions are listed on when it's so important. Like, And it's not, this isn't just a, a thing that, you know, people like to do. Like the WHO says, 
there's no it's not justified the CMO says it's not justified you know there's clinical evidence to back this up I was on the Ireland South hospital website and in the same place that they gave the guidelines and look as you say I'm not blaming like the staff the nurses the midwives in the CMH are first grade I've always found them like that and I know that they're working hard and have done so during really really challenging circumstances over the course of the last year and at different stages restrictions you know were probably necessary when you know the clinical situation was at the stage it was but we're not in that place right now and like I was in the the Ireland South hospital website the, the hospital group website and the same place that they're talking about partners having to go away being asked kindly to leave just after labour that the woman has to be in strong active labour which is arbitrary enough like I mean induction is traumatic itself and that's obviously going to be before that um, and you know, in the same place, there's a link to the Royal College of Midwives, uh, a paper. And that same paper says that, uh, you know, it's proven to be clinically, uh, it's proven to be in the interest of the safety and welfare of the mother to have a birthing partner there. Um, so this is something that is medically necessary. And there's a practical element to this. This isn't just about solidarity and emotional support. It is that, and that actually has benefits. But it's more than that. Like, I mean, after after birth, you know, the woman, you know, could have been labouring, as I said in the clip, for hours. And, you know, nurses and midwives will do their best to facilitate this, but they're run from pillar to post. They have a million things to do, and I know they're doing their best. But, you know, when a partner is dead, they can just keep an eye on the baby, and the mother can rest. Sure. The yeah. mother can go to the bathroom. It's, the it's also the birth of an Irish citizen. There are some inherent rights around that citizenship. And that, yeah. may, that may be, you know, even though you don't know it, to have your mum and your dad uh, present as you were born. Uh, I'd love to talk more, Donica, but I'm out of time. I wanted to specifically talk to you as well because of your position uh, on education, on the uh, on the late leaving cert results, which is going to have a huge knock-on effect for CAO, for the uh, initiation ceremonies and for the, um, what, what do they call it, the orientation of, uh, of first years. So perhaps we can get to that maybe at a different time. Okay, well, look, I can give me just a brief comment if you want. I've got about 10 uh, seconds to make a brief. Sure, look, it's really disappointing. Uh, it's very stressful a week before the written exams. We need to find solutions. We need to get the CEO places lined up, but particularly internationally, North England, United States. We need to fix that because that's where the gap could emerge. Okay, well done. You did it in 10 seconds. Donna O'Leary, Cork South Central TD. Thank you very much. News at 10 is on the way. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. And a very good morning to you. And uh, let's get a quick mention in before we get to the business of the program again. Hi, Mick. I would appreciate very much if you would please say a very special happy diamond wedding anniversary to my grandparents, Pat and Kitty Brown of Glenthorne in Dublin Hill. They are a marvellous 60 years married today. Thursday, June 3rd. I just want to send them all our love and best wishes on this big milestone. I wonder what type of wedding they would have had now 60 years ago today. How many people, where was it held, where was it celebrated? But anyway, much love from their children, Michael, Sandra, Gillian, Mark and Christine and grandkids, Emma, Kate, Neave, David, Daniel, Christine, Ellen, Owen, Killian, Stephen, Alex, Matthew and Lily. They love listening to Neil's show and will get such a kick from hearing this. Many thanks, says Neil. So happy 60th wedding anniversary today to Pat and Kitty Brown of Glenthorne in Dublin Hill. Now, we had a topic yesterday on a husband cheating 
uh, on his wife with other men. Uh, And I can get back to the letter uh, on that, but it has generated an enormous amount of reaction. Uh, Basically, the letter said uh, her her husband had left his computer open, wife needed to check her online banking, uh, and when he popped out to use the toilet, she opened her online banking, but by chance she opened a link to a site called Fab Guys. And so all sorts of messages from men that he had been meeting. Her husband, this is. And in one message, they were asking him to do all sorts of things that she had never known about. Uh, By text on 0868104106, and there are many of them. I think it was very hard for that lady to contact the station and make this a topic of conversation. There are a lot more women living in similar conditions sworn to live in secrecy and lies but no one dares to speak of it uh, of it i think she was very brave says denise get tested and be thankful no children are involved it makes it much easier to walk away and not feel obliged to stay and make it work when miserable uh, this lady married this man and he's lived a lie by not telling her he was gay he shouldn't have got married at least they don't have children so she can walk away says mary the poor woman i hope she can find some peace and has at least one friend she can open up to she must feel awful says karen uh, sadly a lot of men and women 20 years ago were still afraid to show who they really are and got married to hide it from the outside world but sadly the person they married was just their cover and years of your life is gone to someone you thought you knew. If he has cheated, no matter with a man or woman, it's still cheating. Luckily, you have no kids, you can just walk away. What he did to you isn't right, and you deserve someone who'll be there for you and no one else. Best of luck, says Jody. And I'll do one more and get to the rest of them later. We We all have a standard and know our worth. You deserve better. You owe it to yourself. Gladly you've no kids with this person. You knew he had another side to him. Take time to get yourself together. You have a life to live. Move on and leave him where you found him. Uh, And so says Rose. Let's go to line one and to Christine. Hi, Christine. Hi, how are you? Good. Now, you're qualified in life coaching therapy, and you can offer some insight. We have some had some insight yesterday, maybe some further insight from you right now. Uh, Do you think this is a regular thing? It's uh, new to me, but it seems to be by the reaction we're getting. uh, That this is, if not widespread, it certainly is regular. Oh yeah, it is. I'm. I would have come across and heard of this even years ago. It is a well-known thing, and I have a couple of friends that are gay, and they would be. They're quite open with um, discussing things like this. So you would find that there would be straight men in relationships, but they're interested in exploring their sexuality with gay men. So it's called being discreet. So you know, do you can set up like a dating. Uh, whatever whatever dating profile they set up. So um, a good friend of mine that's gay said that he has come across it several times that they set up um, their profile and it's labelled as discreet so that it, the gay people know then that the person is either in a relationship or they want to explore their sexuality. Okay, and is that something that appeals to 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 the gay community? Is is that is this a regular thing? No, well, the friends of mine that are gay, the male friends of mine that are gay, they are completely not into it. You know, they'd say it's not for them. But I mean, I suppose in any relationship, you're going to have your level of morals and standards and, you know, your values are going to be what they are to you. You know what I mean? So whether you're gay, straight, bi, whatever it is, you're going to have your level of morals and relationship standards that are going to be applicable to what your relationship is. But I guess you'll also have a level of sexual appetite, you'll have a, a level of exploration uh, appetite, you'll have a level of fantasy uh, that well, you may want to fulfil. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, like I work in a beauty salon and the stories that will come in over the years, I'm doing it now 14 years, so 
the stories of, you know, people's partners that would have left them for other, like, you know, like this lady, you know, you know, people, their husbands leaving them for men or um, I've come across men uh, or women that would, you know, leave their partners for women. And, you know, it, it is, it's a curiosity thing, but I suppose in this lady's situation, the thing that's after happening is she was aware that he was bisexual, but it's the cheating is the the thing that's after being highlighted whether it was a man or a woman it's the fact that he's actually cheated on her and he hasn't shown her respect and truthfulness in their relationship mm-hmm. Do you think with the you know the gender fluidity we're all aware of now today that you know the, the, the compartmentalising of genders is now gone uh, you know compared to what it would have been 30-40 years ago do you think with that comes the desire to explore or the need to explore? You know I'm not quite sure I mean you know it's quite a different world we live in now. Like I have an 11 and a 12 year old and I was shocked by a conversation that came up with them recently. They were quite openly talking about it's the generation they're living in. So they were on about, you know, people in their school talking openly about being gay, being trans, being whatever it is. You know, it's quite a different dynamic. It's quite open. Um, so you would say that there was probably a lot of men and women entered into marriages and relationships that are maybe now in their 50s and their 60s that would have had a curiosity to different sexual explorations. But suppressed um, it because of the society we lived in. Absolutely, exactly. You know, so there was a stigma attached with that, you know, you, you can't be gay or you can't have a curiosity. You're either, you know, you have to be in a relationship. It's a generational thing. And in a typical old Ireland, you know, it goes back to even single mothers. And I mean, when you think about it, you know, a home for a woman that was pregnant just because she didn't have a supporting partner. It's, it's outrageous. Mm. And I wonder, does it go on, you know, obviously cheating has been going on forever, but uh, new to me that, you know, it's, it's, it's cheating with, an, with another gender. Um, and are you aware it's widespread? Um, because by the volume of texts we're getting, uh, oh, pe- people are saying, yeah, people are saying it's, yeah. it's, it really is widespread. Uh, and it's the social, it's the, uh, the dating sites. And as you say, the uh, putting up discreet, that's a signal. Yeah. And you see, it's the, um, it's the, the, the world we're living in now at the moment, everything is, it's instant gratification. So, you know, you can go on an app and you get instantly satisfied. You can connect with someone and do whatever you need to do. Or, you know, you, you want to buy something, you can buy it instantly. There's, it's it's um, triggering, you know, it's triggering like almost like an addictive hit. So it's triggering the dopamine release in someone's brain. And it's, they're wanting more and more. So they're wanting to explore more. And, you know, it all goes back to even... Um, I read an article recently and it was saying that uh, the, there was a big thing about the Pornhub and that it's a downloadable app and, you know, they're putting up more things and people are getting bored of it. So there's more explicit things going up and then they're getting addicted to that. And it's like they're looking and searching and wanting more and more of something to satisfy a need that they believe someone else mightn't satisfy for them. So then that leads into cheating, it leads into substance abuse, it leads into other addictive personality behaviours. So really, I would say there's a lot more education needs to be given and gifted to people around understanding of how your brain works, how you as a person work, and what it is your needs and wants are. We've come a long way from the the blue movie, the, the video that was passed <laughs> surreptitiously behind the bike shed. Uh, you know, get it back to me tomorrow, that kind of thing. Uh, it's the proliferation of available porn now. Is it's it's available to any age group on any smartphone? Anyone, yeah. It's it is quite frightening, and it is quite you know it's a worry as well that 
you know, even we'd say my children coming up behind me, you know, it's a lot more, there's a lot more available to them online and you'd have to monitor it. And But equally, it's available to everyone. And if you're going to, um, if you're going to go down that road of exploring it and like this guy has gone, you know, it, it, he should have done the moral thing and either left the relationship or had a discussion as to what he felt he needed or didn't need. I mean, each to their own, but he really shouldn't have done this to her. Well, I'm going to be talking about parenting to uh, a lady uh, we, we love talking to, Eileen Halley, uh, on her new book. And uh, mm-hmm. that's, you know, and, and just maybe to overlap a little on that, is there a, a lot or anything we can do around education and emotional intelligence and uh, communication with children? Um, um, I suppose it's going back to, you know, getting down to their level. Like, like our kids teach us so much. We're not we're not here to control them or to make them do what we believe is is what we learned. Do you know what I'm saying? Is in we might have learned things from our parents that we decide now, okay, that didn't really work for me, so we get to change that. But that was in our world in our time. A different world, yeah. a different time. Yeah, completely. So it's about becoming a lot more open minded. Like and if you're if you're able to communicate with your kids without putting demands and and commands on them or, you know, being very controlling, you'll actually build a very, very good relationship and a lot of the a lot of the kids nowadays they seem to all know about anxiety and mental health and they're a, a lot more aware of it but if it's um it's a thing that both the children nowadays and the older generation there needs to be a connection so that they can all you know learn from each other mm-hmm. so is is there any latitude to be given then in our changing society cheating is cheating Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, what I'm trying to address here is wh- where's the void? What's happening? How come partners are not happy with their their chosen life partner, their soulmate? What what I, is causing the desire to explore? Is it is it the proliferation I, of of um, digital media, of streaming services, of dating sites? I would say it's definitely a lack of self belief, self confidence, and understanding oneself, and that there again, it's a generational thing. That you know, um, the the men, the women, they were they were reared at a time where you know the men went to work and then the women stayed at home, and maybe there was no communication about emotions and feelings or discussing how they express themselves. So expression is a big thing, and learning how to express yourself and learning what works and what doesn't work, and you know, figuring out like is it is it verbal communication? Is it um, is it like what sort of communication is it? Okay, a little earlier than uh, than we were going to, because we're going to bring Eileen Halley in here. Eileen is a qualified yeah. life and parent coach with a background in child psychology and uh, is happy to comment on this. Hi again, Eileen. Hi, how are you, Mick? I'm very good. We'll get to your book in a separate in a separate moment, uh, but let's just comment sure. on this. Uh, you, you have a little bit of input. Well, I suppose what I come across if I'm in the schools doing workshops and that is the idea of the porn. I think the porn is causing a massive issue. Um, you know, there's kids as young as a ten, twelve, looking at stuff online that they don't even understand, and where where the confusion comes in then is later on understanding what a real relationship should be. You know, I think we need an awful lot more conversation about what that means to value someone, respect someone, and first and foremost, I suppose, to value and respect yourself. But there isn't enough conversation on any level going on here, and the kids are being bombarded 
with so much information that first off the younger ones aren't emotionally equipped for and then the older ones it can be normalised to think that it's okay to behave in a certain way and to treat people in a certain way. In, in a sense Eileen, are they under pressure to define what, what they need to be or want to be or are expected to be? Um, You mean sexually? Yeah. Even emotionally. Well I, th- I do think we're a lot more open there that a lot, like I've worked with a lot of 13 to 16 who might be unsure of where they are. And I suppose I kind of feel that's okay, you know. They're allowed um, experiment and whatever until they find a time when they fall in love with someone or they have a relationship that they're very comfortable in. Be that with two females, two males, whatever it may be. It's kind of more about the person, I suppose. And I think that's a lot more acceptable. No, we're not there yet, Make by a long stretch. There's a lot of people I've worked with who've ended up in pubs and toilets dealing with older men because they've nowhere else to go. So, like, we do need an awful lot more open conversation about this. But I do think we're moving in the right direction with allowing kids to understand that it's okay, you know. Okay, Chris, Christine, let me ask you the flip yeah. side of that question. Are parents uh-huh. equipped mentally and emotionally to deal with, with <laughs> guiding their children and navigating their children through this quagmire these days? I entirely get backlash this. I would say, um, I wouldn't say no, but I would say there's definitely a lack of understanding oneself like I know for me personally I learned a lot more about myself and how I needed to express and communicate to my children because certain things like I always I would share this quite openly on my social media um, I would have been a bit of a shouter so you know my way of getting things done when the kids were small it was like come on you know get on the shoes get out the door and it was like go 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 um, because that's how even my dad would have done it. it was like come on come on not in a nasty way it was just how we expressed ourselves and I found it wasn't working for me I found that you know I was feeling stress in my body you know the heart was racing the hands were sweating I was like why do I feel like this it's about listening to your body so when you listen to your body and you're able to be calm then your children in turn it will have a ripple effect into them they'll be calm and the communication and the style of communicating will be a a calmer environment for you Mm -hmm. so it's it's um yeah it's a, it's an open loop open loop system for both the parent and the child, and I would be a big advocate on complementary therapies. Um, we'd use a lot of cranial sacral therapy. We like my son has a therapist, and he quite openly would say to me, "Mom, I need to see my therapist." And I'd say, "Yeah, no problem." Book that's very American, isn't it? Very American, <laughs> very. But it, but I'm delighted because he, as a child, he would have found it very difficult to express himself. And we worked with this lady and we still work with her to this day. But she, uh, the only thing I can say is, in his own words, she takes the stressy feelings out of his body and his body is calm. So in turn, I'm calm. We're all calm. It's a lovely calm environment. But there's a lot more, like, I think there's a stigma around talking about therapy and um, complementary therapies. And we all need help. But asking for help is probably the biggest, thing that we don't do because you know it's oh I'm grand I can do it it's fine Mm. there's nothing wrong with me we believe that you have to have something wrong with you to get therapy when actually it's probably the best thing ever for an all-rounder for everyone sure Eileen would you empathize with that I know you have uh, your own uh, construct called uh, jumpstart your confidence yeah well I suppose I thoroughly agree I mean I think most kids could do with an outside ear that isn't emotionally connected with them just to let off, you know, yeah. to be able to talk just general life things through because it is a different world. 
and they are dealing with so much more than we dealt with because of social media um, that they're you know they're opened up to so many things at a young age and, and nastiness and bitchiness and friendship issues which I see as a massive issue you know between 12 yeah. and 16 and if, it, if they can actually get that normalised and talk it out and understand how to deal with their emotions it's going to help them I suppose like one thing that really struck me lately was and I know the primary schools are getting better at this now but you know if you think about the habits we're all reared with and we were all reared with which is like brush your teeth look after your teeth look after your hair blah 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 clean your body, eat well, whatever. But what habits are we actually ever told about our mind? You know, we're never told. Mm -hmm. There was never a time when you're told, you know, maybe you need to take time out. Maybe you need to meditate a bit. Maybe you need to be careful about the way you speak to yourself. Maybe you need to treat yourself like a friend. Whatever it may be. But there's nothing. You know, there was nothing for so many years. And the primary definitely are getting good at this. But the secondary have a long way to go. But we have to start teaching our our younger generation how to help their minds to be functioning in a healthy, positive way. Because this is what I see with the social media and technology. I know there's bullying and all that, but actually what I see a lot of is sadness. And a lot of kids struggling with why they're feeling sad. And is is that why we're seeing youngsters uh, at, at ever younger ages declaring that I'm this, I'm bi, I'm trans, I'm gay, I'm, I'm this, uh, you know, whereas it would have been late teens, early 20s previously? Well, I think, to be fair, and I might get bashed over this one, but I do think, to be fair, at times it can be a little bit of a trend, depending on the age group. That 12, 13, 14, 15 is a very vulnerable age. It might be cool, it might be whatever to be outside the box. So I'd always say to kids, don't box yourself in. You know, experiment where you want to, see how you get on. And when you're ready and when you're sure of how you're feeling, then allow yourself to express it. But take your time. Just take your time. And I think the biggest part there is just saying, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but what I don't want to see a 13-year-old doing is boxing herself into something and then a year later, you know, finding, oh gosh, actually, I don't really feel like this anymore. So it's just take your time and experiment. Now, in my time growing up, there was no way you could come along and say, here, I've kissed a few girls there, but, you know, I'm not too sure how I'm feeling. Yeah. You'd have been like something out of another planet. So we, do, we have come forward on this, thank God. But I yeah. do think at home, I suppose... I do think it's a difficult, it can be very difficult for parents because it's a generational thing. And, you know, obviously we were all reared in a certain way. And then the kids today, as your speaker there, sorry, I haven't your name. It's Christine. Oh, sorry, Christine. Sorry, Christine. Yeah, as you said, like, you know, it's so important that we can talk to them. And our kids teach yeah. us so much. I know my daughters have taught me so much over the last 10 or 15 years. And I really think for parents to just open up a little bit more there, you know, listen to the kids' opinions. They're exceptionally smart. They're very knowledgeable and they have opinions. I would jump in and agree with that. They're highly intelligent. Okay, guys, we're going to move from the uh, sexual exploration and definition area into the parenting area. And then I'll ask on that uh, score, Eileen, to stay with me. And thank you, Christine, for uh, your input. Your uh, your Instagram is Anchor Your Awareness uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you. And listen, a little birdie tells me something as well. It's your mother's 60th birthday today. It is Eileen Duff's 60th birthday today. Happy <laughs> birthday, Eileen. Is there, well, is there minor celebrations and what's allowed? Um, yeah, there's a couple of family celebrations for the next, we're going to celebrate for the next month. We're going to do something every all, weekend. All little small ones. Yeah, so I actually have balloons outside the door there from the lovely girl in Blackpool called Ask Balloons. So they're being delivered right now. So I want to mention her as well and thank her so much. She's just been outstanding. Um, so yeah, big happy birthday to my mom. She's an absolute legend. Happy birthday, Eileen Duff. Where is she? 
She's in Balancolic. Okay, well done. Uh, and thanks, Christine, for your input. And if you stay with me, Eileen, we're back in a moment. Thank you. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. It's coming up on uh, 10.30 and Eileen Halley rejoins us. Uh, thanks for staying, Eileen. Now, in The Parent, your new book, uh, Eileen Keane Halley shares practical, reassuring and real-life principles as a guide for parents on how to deal with the many daily challenges they can face during their parenting experience. So, do you want to be the best parent you can be? Do you want your child to be the best they can be? Do you want your child to go strong and resilient? Do you want you to build a strong, open relationship with your child? Do you want your child to believe they are good enough? Uh, if you answer yes to any or all of the above, then this book may be for you. It's called The Parent and How to Navigate the Ever-Changing World of Parenting. Is it safe to say, uh, Eileen, uh, parenting has never been so intricate or difficult? Yeah, I think it is, Mick, to be fair. I suppose a lot of this book has been in my head for so long now. I've kind of gone to the computer about five times to try and get it on paper. And I think COVID possibly helped me to finally do that. But I think a lot of what's in there is coming from the kids that I've worked with. I suppose I'm working mentoring kids for the last 10 years, eight, 10 years. And, you know, it was something that I just always wanted to do is just bring from the kids' perspective of what they feel could help, what challenges they feel within the home, what challenges they feel within communication with their parents. And it's not, you know, no one can tell a parent what to do. Every home is different, every child is different, every relationship is different. But I think the world we're in now can be so fast-paced and so quick that it's just, this book is very much a reminder of what are the important things for our kids. Like, I, I'm a parent of four girls. Three of them are now living abroad. That time goes so quick, you know. And there was many a time I was like, oh my God, would they ever be grown up? But it goes so fast. And the influence we can have in those years when they're living with us is huge. And it's detrimental for the rest of their lives. And I think that parent-child relationship, and I think make, we can all agree, you know, we bring it with us for life. Mm-hmm. The good, the bad, the confusing bits, all those parts, they're all in there. Yeah, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, and I'm just looking at a section of your book, which I read last night, a five-year-old wondering why no one listens to her. Am I not important? A 10-year-old who's wondering why her mum always seems to be in bad form and kind of blames herself. What am I doing wrong? A 15-year-old boy struggling with his relationship with his dad because he feels his father's love depends on his success. But these are all very real issues and they're real issues that come up every single day in the work that I'm doing um, and there's no judgement here look I've done all of those things myself but it's just a reminder to say you know these are the most important people in our lives this is the most important relationship are we giving it the time it deserves and it's not about hours and hours but it's about if you're giving them that 10 minutes give them the 10 minutes don't be on the phone you know don't be pottering about doing other things if your child comes to you and they want to speak to you and they feel the need to share something with you you're very lucky so listen and I'd say that's one of the most important things I've learned from my own training is actually don't jump in with your advice you know let the child finish because if it wasn't important to them they wouldn't have come to you but if we don't give them that attention and allow them to speak and you know tell us what's going on then when things when they're a bit older and things could be more difficult they just might give up telling us sure. and they might give up coming to us for advice and that is the last place any of us want to find our kids and there's a lot of kids let me tell you honestly who are in that position who do not feel they can share issues with their parents mm-hmm. and they're in trouble or they're struggling and that's a problem Mick, because I do feel like parents relationship with their kids is the actual fundamental relationship that most of their other relationships will be based on so we can't actually underestimate the value of this 
Yeah, I'm reminded of a Harry Shapen song which contains a lot of education called Cats in the Cradle. Uh, not sure if you know it, but that's uh, something maybe people could look up if they're interested. Uh, Albert Einstein said, and you quote him in your book, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by his ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. Yeah, and this is a big one, I suppose. You know, we're all aware our, our education system is archaic. I know, now you know, I'm not getting a teacher here because I have the hugest admiration for them, but the curriculum is packed solid with what, you know? I mean, a lot of it is what I learned. That's ridiculous. You know, our kids, they cannot be based on their academic results alone. I see a huge amount of creative kids who are struggling because a lot of the creativity isn't kind of valued. And yet in the world they're living in, I mean, the scope for jobs and careers with creativity is huge. So unfortunately, we, we don't, we're not open enough to that at all. Um, you know, kids can be exceptionally smart. It doesn't mean that they have to be academically smart. That's only one part of them. You know, they can be very social, they can be motivators, they can be creators, they can be whatever. But I do think we have to take a breath when it comes to the pressure of exams at school. It is insane the amount of kids I work with who are really struggling with this one. And for what? I mean, the child can only do their best and their best has to be good enough. It can't be a parent's best or a teacher's best or whoever's best or sibling's best, which is a big one. It has to be theirs. And that child who might be less academic could end up being a hell of a lot happier and more successful in their lives. So I just think we need to broaden our horizons at times a little bit and not to judge our kids solely on academic and academia results because we really are doing them an injustice. How much are parents, do you think, subject to peer pressure and the expectations of society and, you know, uh, trying to struggle to accept their kids uh, for who they are and less concerned or maybe should be less concerned about what society thinks their kids should be? It's horrendous. I mean, and I think in the last five years, it's actually got out of control. I mean, I've had a conversation with a parent of an eight-year-old child who was really struggling because the child in their drunk under tests wasn't getting 10, but they got 10 last year, but they're on eight. So what's wrong? What's going wrong? You know what I mean? I mean, what in God's name are they going to do when they get into junior search and, and leaving search? I mean, the kids, the parents are, on, are allowing themselves to be put under pressure, whether it's on the sports field. Look at the amount of kids make who go out and play a game and they're talented, but they mightn't be the best. But the parents, one of the parents might really have had that ambition for them that they were going to be the best. And they're the ones shouting on the sideline. Roaring at the sideline. Roaring at the the people volunteering to train them. You know, like, I do think we need to just take a breath, slow down a bit, listen to our kids, see them for who they are. You know, I I think I have that in the book as well, actually. One of my kids, like, was playing sport. My husband and I were very sporty. We presumed this is the only way to go. As, as we watched her playing Gad 11 and 12, she was dancing and pirouetting around the pitch without much football going on. And what she'd been asking us forever to do drama, dance, whatever. And when eventually we caved, we caved and she started. But like she's now finished a drama degree. She's very passionate. She loves what she's doing. But let's take it back. Like if we were very adamant that we wanted her to play GA no matter what. And there's a lot of that ground. Okay. Where would she be now? Exactly, saying, yeah. I don't know where she's going to end up. But had we not noticed and taken time to acknowledge that she wasn't the child we expected. Now, she's an amazing girl, but we had to kind of turn our hopes and ambitions for her and say, well, look, okay, she's going left on a different track. But my God, what she's taught us along the way. Exactly. I I came across a letter which I've held until I was speaking to you. And it's from a school principal in Singapore. 
who sent this letter to the parents just before the exams. And I wonder what you'll think of it, Eileen. Dear parents, the exams of your children are to start soon. I know you're all really anxious for your child to do well. But please do remember, amongst all the students who will be sitting for the exams, there is an artist who doesn't need to understand maths. There's an entrepreneur who doesn't care about history or English literature. There is a musician whose chemistry marks won't matter. There's an athlete whose physical fitness is more important than physics. If your child does get top marks, that's great. But if he or she doesn't, please don't take away their self-confidence and dignity from them. Tell them it's okay. It's just an exam. They are cut out for much bigger things in life. Tell them no matter what they score, you love them and will not judge them. Please do this. And when you do... Watch your children conquer the world. One exam or a low mark won't take away their dreams and talent. And please, do not think that doctors and engineers are the only happy people in the world. Isn't that good? Oh boy, that actually gives me goosebumps, to be honest. (laughs) You know, that's huge and that's everything and that's where you would hope we would be heading. But God help us, we have a long way to go. Um, But, you know, I just feel if we can just, as parents, and grandparents, actually, because grandparents have a massive influence here as well. If we can just really try and just take a breath and take a step back and get to know our kids a bit better. And so I know people would say, oh, we're all at home for the last 15 months of COVID. We couldn't know them any better. But really, we can all be under the same roof and never have a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, we can all be under the same roof and not bring up different topics and converse and see what opinions our kids have and what direction they're heading. How important are boundaries, Eileen? Bedtime, technology time, family time, manners, respect? Massive. You know, I mean, this thing of, you know, let's just leave them to their own device and trying to be a friend instead of a parent. You are doing your child such an injustice. Mm-hmm. I have had kids, believe it or not, who've said to me, I wish they'd take the choice away from me and just take that phone at night. You know, the amount of regret I've had with first year, you know, in six years after their exams or coming up to their exams stressed, saying, why in God's name did I have my phone on every time I was studying? It's going to actually be the cause of me not doing as well as I should. Mm-hmm. There's so many. And I think when it comes to that, Mick, as well, you know, just very briefly coming into the summer when it comes to teenagers and 13, 14 up, um, and they're trying to get that bit of freedom, we do need to give it. You know, they are growing up. They need to feel a sense of independence. But when we're giving that, just have the conversation at the start of the holidays. These are the boundaries. This is the time you're allowed out till you need to answer your phone if I text you or reply to me. And if you break any of these boundaries, then we sit and talk again. Yeah. But until you give me a reason not to trust you, I, I am will going trust to you. trust yeah. you. Uh, and there, that's a huge thing to give your kid. There is one illustration in, in the book, Eileen, that, that caught my eye. And uh, it's of a mother uh, hugging a daughter. And it's obvious from the drawing of the illustration that this is a hugely important moment. Uh, and I'm just reading that. Through the, through the drawing, if, if you know what I mean. Uh, but yes. the caption that comes with the drawing is, one day your child will make a mistake or a bad choice and run to you instead of away from you. And in that moment, you'll know the immense value of picking and choosing your battles with your child. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Like, I would be devastated if I thought one of my kids was in trouble and they couldn't come to me. Mm-hmm. Because really, who else has that 100% trust but your parent and child relationship because others others can be around and they can be helpful and whatever but that loyalty that blood tie that you know just that family unit should be so strong and I'm not saying it's perfect we're all going to go off our heads and it is frustrating and it is, I think kids will take us to every emotional point up and down but at the same time these are the most important people in our world it's why we're here 
exactly. And like we have to allow them be. They are not an extension of us, just like we weren't an extension of our parents. We have got to help them to grow in the world they're in to the best way that they can. And boundaries, respect, communication, trust, all of those values are so vitally important. You know, I often say we can't, you know, we can't uh, choose the world that our kids are going to grow up in, but we can certainly do our best to prepare our kids in the best way we can to move forward in the world that they'll end up in. Yeah, and, and setting boundaries isn't putting boundaries in your ability to love your child. Uh, you're setting boundaries as a means of loving the child. Absolutely. And it's a very easy cop-out. And look, I've given into boundaries. We all have, I'm sure, because we're just frustrated or demented or whatever. But at the end of the day, if we put the boundaries in, the kids, they may fight, argue, rant and rave, and they probably will, but they get used to it if we stick to it. Love if this we woman. Uh, we're getting Eileen. Love this woman. I always listen to her when she's on. Where can I get the book, please? Um, the book is available, well, obviously, with the shop's closed now. It's been online. So it's on my website, which is www.jumpstartyourconfidence.com. And it's also on the link in my bio in my Instagram page, which is Jumpstart Your Confidence Cork. Okay, Eileen is just brilliant. She says it as it is. Yeah. Another one says, my daughter was being bullied in school uh, for some time. I was at my wit's end over it. I had exhausted all options. And then I found Eileen. My daughter is like a different person after seeing her. Do you see parents and children together? Is that not your, your thing? Uh, generally, I see the kids, but obviously I communicate with the parents then. So if there's any way that we can kind of work together, we have to work together, mm-hmm. you know. So it is going back. Sometimes I'll talk to both, but sometimes it's important that the, especially teenagers and older kids, they have that space, that's their space, because they have to feel they have that trust too. Mm-hmm. If there's any interest in that Singapore uh, letter, by the way, we can ask uh, the gang to stick it up on social and everybody can get oh, a... please just uh, stick it up anyway and <laughs> you might send it to every school in the country while you're at it. <laughs> we might do that. Uh, Eileen, I, I, I've tried to pick a song that would uh, would best um, almost encapsulate that letter, actually, right? Uh, okay. So, so uh, I'll say goodbye to you. Keep the radio on right. and have a listen to the one I've chosen. Thanks so much, Mick. I really appreciate it. <laughs> See Thanks, if you make Eileen. sense. Thanks. Eileen Halley Thank from you. Jumpstart Your Confidence. Check out her new book. It's called The Parent. How to Navigate the Ever-Changing world of parenting now I'm going to choose a Jimmy McCarthy song done by Mary Black have a listen to the words of Wonder Child this child he means the world to me there is no more enchanting I see them now flying Magic combination of Jimmy McCarthy from Cork and Mary Black. It's almost like uh, Elton John and Bernie Taupin. She's just perfect for that song. Wonder Child, Jimmy McCarthy's masterpiece from Mary Black. You can get in touch with the program on 1850 uh, That's if you want to call us. You can text on 0868 or email neil at redfm.ie. For my buddy Pat O'Connor, who runs many, many Vodafone outlets in the uh, Cork and Kerry area. Uh, there's an official Vodafone uh, public service announcement and I was the victim. I just got one about five minutes ago actually. I got another one yesterday. And this is about Flubot SMS malware. You've seen how the uh, HSE was hacked. Uh, this is an individual hacking attempt on you and this is an official statement from Vodafone. Vodafone Ireland is aware of a sophisticated scam SMS called Flubot which is now circulating in Ireland. We would like to warn our customers to take the following actions if they receive an SMS from a company they do not recognise regarding tracking of a package or delivery. Uh, I got one from FedEx yesterday. I got one from DHL a moment ago. And you can see, uh, but not everybody will, that it is uh, is not correct. So the first thing you do is ignore it. 
Okay, do not click on any links. Uh, remove the SMS from your phone. So open the message, don't open the link, and delete the SMS from your phone. Now, while the scam is going to primarily affect Android users, not Apple users, uh, Vodafone encourages users of all handsets to be cautious when receiving such an SMS, particularly when you are not expecting a delivery or a courier contact. So please uh, direct message Vodafone for further advice if you've clicked on the link and downloaded the fraudulent app and they can help you. And further information can be found on the advisory issued by the National Cyber Security Centre. You can look that up, the National Cyber Security Centre. But there are dozens of them going around. Uh, they are purporting to say, click on the link and pay one ninety nine or two fifty or whatever to get your delivery. The temptation is to click on the link. Then the malware gets into your phone. It accesses all your passwords, your private banking, uh, private wallets, all that kind of thing can be compromised. So uh, thanks to uh, Pat O'Connor in Killarney for sending me that on the Flubot SMS uh, malware, uh, possibly also up on the Vodafone Ireland website. So just be wide, be doggy wide out there. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 1850-104-106. Red FM. Seven minutes to ten, fantastic choice of song, Mick of the team. I went on a binge of the wind-ups yesterday after you spoke to Tony Horgan. Okay, glad you enjoy those. Balling with this song, so glad you're having this conversation. Can we have more of this, please? The phones and social media are a curse on this generation. Parents need to be aware of the content kids are bombarded with. Uh, thanks, Mick. Now, I'm going to go to Victoria in a second. First of all, a quick mention for our Irish hospitality promotion. This week with Musgrave Marketplace, an Irish family business passionate about supporting jobs in our local economy. Sutton's Bar and Bistro at Rochestown Park Hotel, 150 euro voucher up for grabs. And uh, Mus- Musgrave Marketplace uh, are just really emphasising that hospitality needs us. It needs you and I and everybody else. Uh, Musgrave Marketplace have uh, 680 Irish suppliers uh, and by supporting the uh you know, supporting the hospitality industry and Musgrave Marketplace, we are really uh, kick-starting the hospitality sector back into gear. Hotels yesterday, outside service uh, on uh, bars and restaurants, of course, happening from Monday. And here are the three themes, uh, sig tunes or theme tunes that you need to identify in uh, about an hour's time. We're not opening the lines right now, but have a listen. Okay, uh, there's three in there, believe it or not. And we'll open the lines in about an hour's time on that. Don't call us just now. Victoria, thanks for holding. Good morning. Yeah, no problem. How are you? Okay, on mental health and parenting. Yeah. Um, So, this is going back 10, nearly 15 years ago. And if I woke up and had, just wasn't in the mood, you know, Mm -hmm. as you do, just just terrible mood, I'd go down to mom and say, mom, I don't want to go to school. And she'd be like, are you sick? Are you okay? And I'd be like, I was always honest. We had a great relationship. So I said, I'm not sick. There's nothing wrong with me. I said, I just can't face it. I don't want to go in holding back tears for absolutely no reason, just being a teenager. Mm, well, that's great, that's great yeah. honesty, Victoria, but not a great excuse. <laughs> I know, yeah. but um, And I, that's the thing that we, we had the, the good relationship, so I wasn't abusing it. But I'd just be like, I said, I'm not okay. I just, I just can't, can't deal with it. And she'd sit me down. And would have tea and she asked me if anything had happened, if everything was okay, and just talk to me. And an hour, two hours, sometimes even just 20 minutes, I'd be like, you know what, mom, I feel better. I actually, do you mind dropping me to school? Wow. And she would. And and you'll have those memories all your life that uh, that your mom didn't just pack you off to school or pack you up to your bedroom. That's it. Or give that's out it. to you. And everyone, <laughs> exactly. 
everyone used to always get out or saying, I'll always take the easy way out, I'll ruin my life, I'll never pass any of the exams. And and she just said, she's my kid, I know what I'm doing. And she must have come under her, her own peer pressure to say, you're being too soft on that child, Victoria. <laughs> That's it. Um, and yeah, all her friends and everyone used to always give out her and I'm really glad she had the strength to say, no, I can't see that she's not okay. I'm not going to push her into the world when she clearly needs my help with something. Yeah, it's a thin line though between uh, being taken advantage of and uh, recognising <laughs> that, okay, she's trying it on again here, but maybe there's a little more to it than just being in a bad mood. Uh, maybe I do yeah, need to sit yeah. down and, yeah. Of course, it's, it, you know, it, it just depends on, on the parents and, and how they get on with their kids and trust and everything. As I said, I'm just lucky that she, that she did trust me and, and I didn't abuse all all that she did for me. And that life skill has now been passed on to you for your next generation. I will, I'd hope so, yeah. Um, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm just really glad, as I said, 15 years ago, this was even a bigger deal to, to have your child take a, a mental health day. So it was unheard of. Um, and I'm, I'm just really glad she did. I, I went off to college. I got a job right away. I actually ended up not loving the job and I said, Mom, what am I going to do? And she said the same thing. She said, come home, talk about Come home. Yeah, I'm always here. Um, Door's always open. Yeah. It's a great story, Victoria. Thank you very much. Yeah. So uh, and and, and pay that forward, will you, uh, to your own children if, <laughs> if and when the time comes. I will do my best. Thanks a million. Uh, three minutes yeah, to you. 11 o'clock now. News is on the way. You're listening to the Emerald Award-winning Music Station of the Year, Cork's Red FM. And a huge reaction to uh, our topic on my husband is gay and has been cheating. I got through uh, some of the texts. Let me get through a few more because uh, there have been many. Uh, she always knew he had a buy side but chose to ignore it. Then she needs to do online banking when he was in the bathroom and stumbled upon the site and the messages. Uh, tell the truth, he went snooping. Uh, you don't like what you found, now it's time to move on, says Anne-Marie. Firstly, be thankful there's no kids involved, says another texter. Secondly, his deception solely comes from not wanting to hurt you. Uh, I base this on how long you've been married. Thirdly, and most importantly, as easy as it is for me to type, this is not your fault. It's way easier to lie to someone else rather than yourself. Try your best to move on and not to blame him. He lied, which in my point of view I couldn't forgive him for. Uh, but he left and I genuinely hope you can find it in yourself to pick yourself up and move on. Uh, easier said than done, I know. And that came in from Nell. Uh, another texture says, you're lucky you found out when you did. Another one says, get an STI test and leave. Cheating is cheating, no matter who they end up with uh, cheating with. And some people are happy to have an open relationship, but it's not for everyone. Being alone is better than constantly driving yourself mad about what he is up to. And so says uh, Susie. And uh, we will come back to our Musgrave Marketplace towards the end of of the program and this is the final time I'm going to give you a listen to the three uh, theme tunes that we need you to identify in about 45 minutes time don't call just now because we have had requests to play it again and again because it is a bit of a tricky one they're uh, stitched together very tightly there and we'll open the lines for Musgrave Marketplace at about 5 minutes to 12 on line 1 it's Anthony hi Anthony Good morning, Miguel. How are you? I'm very good, and it's good to have you back, Antonio. <laughs> um, now, on about married men having affairs with other men. Well, yeah, basically, I wanted to come on to you to talk about double standards, but when you brought up that topic yesterday, I thought, do people not realise that women actually go off and have affairs with other women as well, married women? And I find that society 
are a lot softer. I mean, I was just listening there last week to an interview with Brendan O'Carroll, you know, Mrs. Brown's boys, mm-hmm. his sister. Eilish. She was married and then she discovered, I, I don't know if she was married twice, but she was married once anyway. And then she discovered she was a lesbian. She was getting pats on the back and everything. And then before that, the other example I can think of was Mary Byrne, you know, that won the talent competition. That's that right. Checked out Girl from Tesco's. She decided she was a lesbian and then she decided she wasn't a lesbian. So, and she was getting pats on the back as well and there was absolutely nothing thought about it. So, in the interest of balance and equality, women do it as well, mm-hmm. just as men. I, I know Alicia Carl, you wouldn't find a nicer lady in your life. She's an absolute gem. Oh, I'm not saying anything about her personally and I'm not, but it's only just an example that I can bring up that mm-hmm. I'm aware of. Sure. Uh, Mary you know, Burns a bit I'm of a character. I think she's in Tenerife at the moment and uh, enjoying herself uh, away from the restrictions. I'm not saying restrictions. No, I'm not. I know you're not. I'm just saying I, I know both people uh, you're mentioning and, and they are salt of the earth. I have no doubt about that. I'm not attacking them personally, but I'm just saying society seems to have a different attitude. If a woman goes off and leaves her husband for another woman... Mm-hmm. They seem to be congratulated for it. Anthony, thanks for bringing that up because in the interest of balance, we haven't heard, I don't think we've had a single text. Uh, we've had dozens and dozens uh, on the topic we brought up yesterday uh, where men leave the, the marital home, if you like, uh, even temporarily uh, and are having affairs mm-hmm. and, and having liaisons with other men, uh, either if they stay at home or if they leave for good or whatever. But we haven't had any, uh, cer- certainly text evidence that it's happening the other way around, but it must be. Well, of course it is. I mean, that's that's human nature. That's been happening since time went on. And I mean, like this this shaking of hands and this shock and this horror and this surprise. Like, I mean, Oscar Wilde was married with two children and that was back in Victorian times mm-hmm. and there was no social media then. So, I mean, it's been going on since yeah, time I, began. I, I don't think Oscar Wilde had any in, in, inhibitions in exploring his own sexuality. Yeah, and I just think, I suppose, just like domestic violence, men don't report domestic violence, and men are less likely to say, well, uh, my wife has left me to his mates. Uh, she's gone off with Mary down the road. Was I it, mean, was, was it Oscar Wilde likely to uh, Anthony, say that. Was it Oscar Wilde or Winston Churchill who, when approached, I think it was Oscar Wilde, uh, somebody said to him, it's a disgrace, you're drunk, Mr. Wilde. And uh, he said, Madam, I might be drunk, but you'll still be ugly in the morning. I thought it was a lovely, very quick line. Yeah. I think that was Oscar Wilde. Yeah, and he also said, I always thought that was a very good um, quote of his as well. Oh, I, I have the... I like, have, it, as it just, you don't do it on the street and frighten the horses. <laughs> That's right. It just popped into my head. The, uh, the Winston Churchill one was, um, uh, Mr. Churchill said a woman, if I was married to you, I should poison your tea. And to which Winston Churchill replied, Madam, if I was married to you, I should drink it. <laughs> very good, very good, very yeah, but good. Ba- back in those Oscar Wilde days, Anthony, there was no social media, and um, mm-hmm. was, was, there, was there almost a, a sense of a bohemian, casual uh, relation, uh, you know, public relation with Oscar Wilde and his vagaries, if you like? Yeah, well, I suppose it was kind of, it really was no different to today. When you look back on it, I think... At the time in Victorian London in the 1860s, I think there was the mo- there were more prostitutes, male and female, 
the, the male prostitutes were called rent boys. There was opium dens and they were supposed to be the most moral and perfect family and they were all behaving like Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria didn't believe in lesbianism. She didn't think it could possibly exist mm-hmm. until the day that she died. She said there, there could be no such thing as a lesbian. Like I said, I don't care either what people do, but I don't like the double standard. And you've just highlighted it there earlier on in what you said to me. There's not one man who's rang up or texted you and said his wife left him for another woman. Well, there's a certain bravery attached to the ladies in that sense. They're not afraid to text us on, on, on the issue. Maybe it's just a step too far for a man to admit it's happened to him. Uh, certainly the but ladies... why should it be? I know it shouldn't. In age. But if, if, when you're talking about hypocrisy, uh, hypocrite, hypocrites and double standards, I mean, even 30 years ago, uh, I had friends who would be, I wouldn't say anti-gay now or homophobic, but, you know, mm-hmm. they, you know, ne'er the twain shall meet. Oh, that's not for me. That kind of thing. Uh, yet they would have idolised somebody in an artistic sense who was flamboyantly gay, like Freddie Mercury. Yeah, that's very true as well. Yeah, yeah. But you, want, you wanted to talk also about political correctness, Anthony, did you? I did actually because racism and this this kind of woke, you know, this new phenomenon, people that are woke, woke that yeah. are aware of everything and the deny culture. I was kind of thinking, mm, well, you know, if we want to balance things out and if we want things to be fair, like I said from the beginning, I want to talk about fairness and equality. Channel 5, for the past couple of nights, have had a mini-series about Anne Boleyn. And for anyone who doesn't know, I'll give it very quickly. Anne Boleyn was the second wife of Henry Henry VIII. And she was the mother of Queen Elizabeth I. And, of course, she ended up in the tower like all Henry VIII's wives generally did. (laughs) But her character was played by a black actress. And Anne Boleyn wasn't black. Mm -hmm. Now, I would have no problem with that. I would say that's fair enough. But then when I heard a couple of months ago that people were complaining, black and white people, and the, oh, what would you call them? I don't know what I'd call them. But people would be familiar with the Simpsons unless you lived underneath a rock. I call them yellow, I suppose. There's a character in the, yeah, that's true. There's a character in The Simpsons called Dr. Hibbert, and he happens to be black, but he was voiced by a black man, or he was voiced by a white man. Okay. And people complained and complained and complained, and the man that did his voice for over twenty years got the bullet, and he's oh, being voiced now by a black man. But your Bart Simpson is voiced voiced by a girl. Nancy Cartwright. This is what I'm talking about, Mick. This uh, is what I'm talking about, the stupidity. Tom and Jerry, there are Tom and Jerry, the cartoon that we all are familiar with, we all would have grown up with and we all would have seen as well. There's episodes of that that have been banned and banished and taken off the air, taken off. They'll never be seen again because of racial misappropriation, because... Do you remember there was a black maid in it? Yes. She'd always jump up the stool and she'd have about 20 skirts she'd be lifting up. And Afraid of the mouse, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, they were all taken off. The black and white minstrels are gone. Then you had Apu in The Simpsons. He was an Indian character. Apu Nahasapina Patalon. Yeah, with his 45 children that runs the shop, the Mini Mart. (laughs) They wanted him removed because that was racial misappropriation and racial prejudice as well. Stereotyping that all Indians only can run supermarkets or corner shops. But isn't uh, isn't Apu voiced by a white man? I don't think so anymore. And they wanted to remove him completely, actually. But the Dr. Hibbert character is now being voiced by a black man because of complaints. And then we have a documentary about Anne Boleyn and the main character, the main thing, the main theme of it is Anne Boleyn. And it's a, a black woman. I mean, it'd be like we'd say if you were making a mini series about Winnie Mandela or Nelson Mandela and had a white man or a white woman playing the main part. Do you think it'd be accepted? Well, apparently there's a, an Oprah Winfrey uh, biopic coming out and she's being played by a white person. Oh, don't give Oprah Winfrey gives me a pain and I wouldn't like to tell you where. But on top of that as well, then her Harry and Meghan interview recently, now that you've brought up Oprah Winfrey, her Harry and Meghan interview, there was this little drop in that, how dark will the child's skin be? But we're not going to mention which member of the royal family said it. So I don't really believe that happened in the first place, to be quite honest. Uh But on top of that, I was watching an interview before they got married and it was on actually on Sky News and there was a panel I think there was uh, there was two men and two women and they were professional journalists now, well-established journalists, and there was a psychiatrist and someone else. And they just made a passing remark. Do you think Harry, for a ginger, he's pu- punching well above his weight, marrying Meghan? No. And they all broke out laughing, and that was acceptable. Now, do you think if that panel said, do you think for a divorced biracial woman, she's punching well above her weight, that uh, they'd have a job the next morning? They wouldn't. Probably, yeah. As a text came in, I'm surprised, so, I'm surprised there hasn't been uproar over, over Dr. Hibbert because he's basically Dr. Huxtable, if you remember, who was played by Bill Cosby. And we all know about him, says the texter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. There was also complaints a couple of years ago, Anthony, if I remember correctly, about the movie Dunkirk because there wasn't enough people of colour in it. It's set in the English Channel during the Second World War. Yeah, and you had the people, the cancel culture. They want to uh, remove Gone with the Wind because of the, the black maids, which they did exist. I mean, you can't deny that that happened. Cancel Gone with the Wind, remove it off the air. To Kill a Mockingbird, the books should all be burnt and the movie shouldn't never be shown again. Little House on the Prairie, Huckleberry Finn, all written in a different time in a different world. Uh, another texture says, and maybe, yeah, maybe this is the one I was getting on to. Apuna Hasapina Petalon is voiced by Hank Azaria, right? Anthony is a bit wrong. Mm-hmm. It's the shop owner in The Simpsons, Apu, that was voiced by a white man, Hank Azaria. The woke people gave out about it and the white man doing his job, doing his voice lost his job. No, I'm not wrong. That person should recheck their facts because 
Dr. Hibbert was voiced by a white man. Okay, we'll take your word for it. That, that started the original complaints. So what I'm trying to say, fictional cartoon characters, in other words, black people can complain about that, but realistic white people can be played by black people. And then on top of that, I'm just going to throw in the final thing, the N-word, we can't use it, but they can write music, they can make movies, they can make series and refer to each other with the N-word. But if we do it, we're racist. Yeah. So I think... It is very, very prevalent in, in, in some of the music. Yeah, and it's absolutely ridiculous. And if we use it then, we're racist but it's fine for them to use it. Now, I, I know if something disgusted me, I wouldn't be using it. And if I was offended by it, I wouldn't be using it. And like I said, with that panel of experts on Sky News and making a big laugh, oh, for a ginger, he's punching well above his weight. Uh, I kind of think... Hasn't Ed Sheeran made all gingers trendy now? Mm, I think so. But I mean, what's the difference between... Could discrimination apply to your... What's the difference between hair colour and skin colour? Absolutely. Uh, here's a text that'll give you a little positive uh, boost in your day, Anthony. I love listening to Anthony. He's a world of information and gives a very straight and honest point of view. He's a great conversation starter and excellent at getting you to really think about the facts of any situation and facing the truth about things and the reality of things. Excellent. I totally agree with him about Oprah Winfrey. He's having a great and honest chat about the Royals, and he's bloody right in all he's saying. Love you, Anthony, and you should have your own radio and TV slot, says Regina and Oven, in Ovens. We'll leave it there, Anthony. Thanks once again Thank for your you input. Thank you very much. Thank you. 23 minutes past 11. Weekend, you too. Oh, nice yeah, long weekend on the way. And Mick, yes. before you go... Do you know when you're getting all those free meals, would you throw one my way? Uh, come here. Hang on a second now. <laughs> I, I, I'm only thinking about it. And uh, we've got some text and support. No, number one, uh, like I, I won't get to all the numbers. It's, it would be in breach of BIA, BAI guidelines on pay for play, okay? It's, it, it's morally in breach to accept anything like that. It's against any code of ethics. It's against my own sure, upbringing. We all know that. But you'd always get the old Oscar the Grouch coming out of the dustbin. There'll always be one. <laughs> you can't say that. You can't say that. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, Gro- maybe Oscar the Grouch. You're stereotyping Grouches. Guys living in dustbins. We're all in trouble now. Only joking. Thanks, Anthony. All the best, Mick. 24 Lovely. minutes past 11 now. Lovely. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. It's 27 and a half minutes past 11 now. On the uh, gay topic, my father's second wife struck stepmother. Uh, my stepmother, I guess, is, is what the text is saying, decided after a few years to leave him for another woman. This was back in the 80s, so then it was a massive shock for him. Us kids and all that lived around us, I never saw a man so broken, embarrassed, and uh, probably humiliated at that time. We all were, we just never saw it coming. So yes, it does happen to men, and if they felt anything like my father did, it was the last thing they'd want to text in about or talk about. I can't talk... I'm in work. Well said, Anthony. A lot of idiosyncrasies, especially in their music. Uh, very hypocritical, says uh, Shiona. Now, on the topic of flights on line two, it is Eamon. Uh, good morning, Eamon. Good morning, Mick. Um, I just have an inquiry there, and maybe you or your listeners will be able to help me this morning. Okay. I booked a flight with Aer Lingus last year, and like so many other people, um, got a refund from them. Um, I wasn't anxious to guess. Um, my money back because I was cognizant of the amount of jobs that were at stake in airlines at the time and everywhere else in the aviation industry. Mm-hmm. 
But the difficulty I have today is that right now they're flying out of Cork. I have vouchers and it appears that there's no service operating out of Cork. And I haven't been able to make contact with Aer Lingus despite even going up to the airport and trying their their helplines. There's nobody answering the phone. I don't seem to be able to get any information whether they are operating a service out of Cork after the 19th of July. Okay, when do you need to or want to travel? August, is Um, it? Probably August, yeah. Okay. August. And... Is there any resumption of services from Cork to uh, Alicante prior to the airport shutting down? Um, not that I know of. I know that Ryanair, I know people who have booked with Ryanair and they are operating service after the 19th of July. Um, but there is no indication that Aer Lingus are doing so. But I suppose either way, if I knew what was happening, I could make a decision. But they are operating flights out of Dublin to Alicante, mm-hmm. um, which is, I suppose... You know, it's, a, it's an extra expense and an extra hassle going up to Dublin. But if any of your listeners are a representative from Aer Lingus, we'll be able to give some clarification whether they are operating service at the end of the summer or not. Because my vouchers aren't much good to me if I have to travel up to Dublin because obviously there's an extra cost, maybe an overnight stay and extra tra- transport cost, etc. So if yeah. anybody knows anything about it, I'd be very grateful. Okay, we'll put we'll put the message out there. If anybody knows, or if anybody maybe from the airport can uh, enlighten us on that, it's uh, it's looking like Terminal Three, Patrick's key for you. Yeah, unfortunately, but you know we we are the second city in the republic, and it appears the Dublin Airport Authority are. It appears that they're deliberately neglecting Cork and um, there's no connectivity and it appears that there won't be any connectivity um, towards the latter half of the summer um, via Aer Lingus, which is very disappointing. Well, um, it's, it's, it's been obvious to me for many years that the, the necessity to maintain the long-haul flights out of Dublin uh, means just that. We need to have the bus connectivity from Cork to support the volume that are, are taking those flights to Doha, to Dubai, uh, you know, to Abu Dhabi and onwards to Asia or to Australia or whatever. So you have a choice. You can fly from Cork to London and go long haul. Or you can get the bus to Dublin and go long haul. But that doesn't augur well for the level of service that uh, Cork are able to provide. Now, I know there are many, many international destinations. Uh, you know, you can fly to Charles de Gaulle from Cork and connect onwards from there and other airports as well. Uh, but when I had... Uh, Pat Dawson, who I think is the president or chairperson of the uh, Irish Association of Travel Agents, I asked him honestly, could you honestly answer me the question, Pat? Are more people leaving for business and on holidays from Cork Airport or from Terminal 3, which is what I've christened Patrick's key? And he honestly couldn't answer. Yeah, it's it's disappointing in terms of the future of the airport and and the implications post post the pandemic for the business community in Cork in terms of trying to support new businesses and the the, the need for international travellers to be able to um, conduct their business in our city. Um, it's very disappointing, and even even the the work on their own way starting in mid September, just when the airport should be taken off again, is just it seems ludicrous. Well, that well that's time? that's not great for the workers of the airport or for the pilots and the and the no, cabin crew absolutely. that are working there. That's really going to extend their pandemic downtime. Uh, and I know I'm not not pointing fingers at the airport. It's it's a ten week intensive uh, working reworking of the runway is my understanding that would take you know an inordinately extra amount of time in any other time. So. Uh, by the way, a caller says uh, they're not going that route this year and they're not doing the route. You have to go to Dublin. Uh, he goes every year but says the route is not on this year. And uh, we are emailing our lingus about it and uh, we'll bring the uh, response to air as soon as we can, Eamon. Eamon but it looks I, I'd, I'd, I'd appreciate that because, um, 
they're, they're, they're not communicating with people. Um, if there is going to be no service, then that's what they should be saying clearly so people know where they stand. Yeah. But it, it, it's, it's disappointing given the fact that I try to support, like other people, to try to support the company um, by taking vouchers and try to support those jobs in that company. And no, they're not providing the service when the airport is going to be reopening um, to foreign travel after the 19th of July. Yeah, but they, ca- they can't be viable on half-empty planes either. Yeah, but the, that, that, is a vi- that, that is a viable route at that time of the year. You know, mm. they'll, fill, they'll fill the planes, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, there's the, no the, doubt about that. The, the, I don't know, is there, is, is there another motive for, for not providing well, that? I, I think, like, I'm not an expert on aviation by any means, but I think you'd probably have to have 10 or 12 viable routes, at least, to, to station, uh, you know, $100 million aircraft in, in, uh, in Cork. It's not, yeah. not going to survive flying up and down to Alicante every day. I, I, absolutely, but um, w- with the rest of Europe opening up, surely the airport would be in a position to, even for whatever number of weeks it is, 10 or 12 weeks until the mid- middle of September, to provide services and connectivity to um, more, more destinations out of Cork, um, e- even on an interim basis until the runway is done and continue thereafter with those services. Yeah. Uh, we did the uh, the hotels, give them a shout-out yesterday, and, uh, you know, we're going to be doing probably some of the pubs over the next, over Friday and Tuesday, obviously, uh, Monday's a bank holiday. Uh, and I'd, yeah. I'd really like to hear from pubs who have developed the outside area and are opening, uh, you know, under new kind of conditions on yeah. Monday. We'd love to hear from that. Uh, and equally, uh, if anyone from the airport wants to enlighten us as to what services are available so that the Cork public might be able to support that and... Uh, and keep the airport ticking over, as it were, until the uh, the, the closure for ten weeks uh, and the necessary engineering works on the runway. We don't. We'd be only too happy to facilitate that as well. Yeah, but one looks, of your listeners is of the opinion that there's going to be no service. Yeah, uh, says says he knows they're not doing the route. You have to go to Dublin. Uh, this guy goes every year, or this uh, lady goes every year. Yeah, okay. uh, not sure as a male or female, but says the route is not on for this year. But we'd uh, we'd appreciate any clarification from Cork Airport, or indeed, as we have requested, we'll get something from Aer Lingus, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I was talking to Cork Airport this morning. They weren't able to either confirm or deny whether that route would be operational um, this year. Hang on a second. Uh, I work at Cork Airport. I lost my job April last year. I haven't been called back to work since, so I'm assuming it'll just be Ryanair for the rest of the year. Uh, looks like we won't be back until next year. Uh, I imagine there'll be, uh, there'll be a huge resumption of services over the Christmas period, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd imagine there would be. I'd imagine. But that's very disappointing for that worker who's looking to get back to work, even if they were able to come back to work until the runway started up again or the runway work was completed. Um, you know, it 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 give them some little bit of hope because they've been out of work for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that that route is is, is viable, um, certainly is viable um, moving forward. But even for the ten or twelve weeks up to the middle of September, it'd be it it it'd be that fill the planes. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. It's just disappointing for Merlingus. I feel left down, um, especially when. I and many other people supported the the company by just taking vouchers instead of looking for a refund. Yeah, I, I feel the company are leaving down the people of Cork and the Cork region. Very is, much so. Is is the company essentially Irish anymore, though? Well, it's not Irish anymore, but um, they're providing a service um, to the people of Cork, and uh, they haven't they have a moral, moral obligation to 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 resume that service when people have taken vouchers off them with the expectation that when travel was um, safe, when it was safe to travel again, that they would be able to redeem those vouchers. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, again, if people have to get on a bus to go to Dublin Airport, what's the point in having an airport up there? 
You know, they might as well just close it down if they're not going if it's not going to be operational. Well, there's no one more than me would love to see a thriving Cork airport. Uh, it, you know, it, it has suffered from lack of destination availability over the years. And I know uh, the likes of Kevin Cullinan are battling to uh, increase the destinations and increase. But I mean, everybody has been hammered by this pandemic. Everybody, and especially the aviation industry and tourism, you know, yeah. and, and tourism. So if, if, if there's no connectivity out of the airport into or out of the airport from um, lots of destinations over the summer, then obviously there won't be any tourists coming in. Well, I suppose from Erlingus's perspective, Eamon, they're going to say, look, your voucher's relevant for five years. We will be back in Cork. You will be able to go to Alicante. For now, under the current restrictions, you, you know, if you want to go, you'll have to go from Dublin. And, and, and the emphasis from the government recently is to try and get people back to work. And surely Aer Lingus, like all other companies, if there's opportunities to do that, should be doing that. And if there's people sitting at home today and there's an opportunity for them to go back to work, even if it's only for three months until the three and a half months until the runway project is started, then surely that should be the right thing to do. Okay, yeah. so that's from that's from July nineteenth, maybe August, September, uh, until the airport closes and uh, uh, hopefully gets back up into full capacity and full operation for the Christmas season. And hopefully, we'll all be able to welcome visitors home uh, this Christmas season as well. Okay, and, and absolutely, because I, I think the post pandemic it's important that the the routes and the connectivity to major destinations is, is resumed because otherwise it's going to be implications for the business community and for tourism in the city as well. Okay, Emin, thanks for that. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Change of subject now and back to the maternity situation. Uh, thanks for holding, Martin. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, you, you had an experience at the maternity hospital. We had um, uh, our Cork South Central TD, uh, Donica O'Leary, on with a very personal experience there, which she uh, was very tearful about yesterday and very emotional about yesterday in uh, Doyle Aaron. Uh, what was your, your experience there? Well, my own experience is uh, I brought my partner up uh, to the hospital. Um, she was receiving her first scan, uh, three-month scan. And um, after that happened, um, she experienced uh, quite serious discomfort and excruciating pain even, um, where she was unable to deorness, um and she ended up having to be kept in the hospital afterwards for um, for a number of days. And I wasn't able to, to visit her um, at all within the hospital. Now, she was able to come outside the door of the hospital to collect uh, stuff, um, but I wasn't allowed in her all uh, to be there. I wasn't allowed to be there either for the first scan, um, which is quite an important one, you know, get the heart, like uh, yeah. the, the baby's heartbeat and get the seat move around on the, on the screen. Uh, I was there for all my other kids' ones and uh, I wasn't allowed there. For this sure, one. and as Donica O'Leary said, you know, we're presenting from the same household, the same bubble, if you like. We present the yeah. same COVID risk together as we do separately. Yeah. And, and there wouldn't have been anything I wouldn't have been unwilling to, to wear um, to protect the others around me to go in there, you know, in terms of masks, if they wanted me to wear the N95. Jeez, if they wanted me to wear a hazmat suit, I, I would have jumped of in. Of course, yeah. To be in there. <laughs> but, of course, they're, they're, you're now going to make an, uh, a comparison, maybe an unfortunate comparison, but one that, yeah. one that rings kind of hollow nonetheless. What happened next? Yeah, well, what happened afterwards was um, this happened at the start of the month where the scan was and my partner fell on, on well. But uh, not long after that, then I was uh, required to attend a court case inside in Cork City Court for €10 Euros worth of cannabis. 
And when I went in there, um, the, the scene was uh, a rather scary one in light of the, the pandemic that we're currently going through. Um, like at the time, we weren't allowed to go to mass uh, in more, I think the number was restricted at 15. But inside in this courthouse, there was well over the 50 people, I would say close to 100 people inside in a small uh, packed type uh, corridor. They all gathered down at the end of the corridor no ventilation, there was one doorway in um, and then into the courts. Uh, I, I made a, a number of Gardaí aware of my concerns at the time and none of them were actually willing to to, to do anything about the, the breach of the COVID guidelines that was taking place there at the time. So I, I went down then to the court reception, also made another complaint there and they too were unwilling to do anything about it. They just said, look, that's the way it is. Um, and I couldn't just comprehend that, you know, a week before I wasn't able to go into a, a hospital all gowned up and protected. But meanwhile, it's totally fine to go up there into this high-risk environment. Now, I have a partner who's pregnant. Um, I have other family members who are vulnerable. I take care of uh, my great uh, my great uncle who's uh, in the vulnerable at risk category too, um, and I was made to go into this unsafe environment over ten euros worth of cannabis. I thought ten euros would be discretionary at this stage, is it not? It, it should be, to be fair. Like they should t- treat it like a, if if they're to punish it at all, like a speeding ticket at the side of the road. Here, here's your fine. Go pay this, and no need for the courts, no need for criminal uh, convictions either. Like I currently have a criminal conviction, which is making me um, less employable, and despite having an honours degree and soon to have a master's as well, um, it's still difficult for me to get a job because of my criminal conviction, my criminal past. And is that criminal conviction for drugs going to stop you going into America, for example? For life, it, it, has, it already has stopped me. I, I was due to attend the uh, an international gathering of students uh, as part of the Students with Sensible Drug Policy. I was the chairperson of the society in CIT, um, where I got my or my honours degree in herbal science, and uh, I wasn't able to attend there. And I was also to attend the UN a Special Assembly on Narcotics, which was to take place in New York also that time, and I was prevented from doing that also simply because I was caught with a little piece of cannabis. Ten euros worth. Ten euros, like, yeah, ten euros worth. Don't they call uh, that a nudge? A, a, a nudge, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A, t- a tiny amount. Uh, I, I have three criminal convictions for personal possession of cannabis. I was very unfortunate. I, I grew up in the Glen. I hung around up there at my cousins and things, and we were unfortunate. It's not unfortunate to grow up in the Glen, by the way. No, well, no, <laughs> it's unfortunate in my case that I was targeted more by the, the, the Gardaí because of the area, whereas I had friends from other areas of the city, you know, Montanati and things, and like not that far away, and they were, they were left alone, and they were getting up to the same stuff as us. Yeah. Uh, just maybe we were dressed differently. Okay, you're familiar with uh, Jay Randolph Hurst. Did you ever hear him? I, I, I do, I have, yeah. And that's, that, and that's where this whole reefer madness campaign, campaign came from, yeah. because the Mexicans found that uh, hemp, which is the, the uh, marijuana is, uh, is Mexican for hemp, uh, yeah, could make ropes, could make paper, uh, a lot cheaper than uh, forestry. But Randolph, J. Randolph Hearst had invested millions, if not billions, uh, in South American forestry and needed that uh, material to run the newspaper empire that he had. And so he started a, a kind of derisory campaign called Reefer Madness. And yeah. uh, and uh, politicians, I suppose, maybe were or were not in his pocket, who knows, but they were influenced by this campaign and so came the criminalization of the use of uh, marijuana, which has now since been proven 
to be so medicinal and so harmless, really. And, you know, I know you're going to get the, uh, oh, it's a gateway drug and it's going to lead you down the road to, you know, eventual addiction. But uh, I, I think the, the world is finally coming to see that uh, there there, there's more I'm good in it. I'm delighted to hear that you're up to speed on this. Um, and you might be also aware that there was a recently abandoned student who won an award there um, through Chagask um, for his work. He's a secondary student um, on the potentials there of the cannabis hemp plant um, as a sustainable crop for the Irish farmers. And there just needs to be more investment there into the... Uh, yeah, the cannabis hemp is, is being grown here legally on, under licence. Uh, uh, for medicinal purposes and uh, and for making of oils, and I, I am familiar with that. And and it's it's not it's not something I use myself, but I I am aware of, of the criminalisation of it uh, and and his, the history of how that happened and the skittle effect and the domino effect it had on other governments. Uh, you know, when it was really a millionaire just trying to protect his forests to make his paper. Yeah, and, and not also at the same time you would have had the introduction of some very powerful um, painkillers, you know, and they, they also, the cannabis was competing with these too. Um, what came out there uh, recently is that it's uh, almost 96% effective um, in helping to treat childhood epilepsy um, at reducing the, the severity or the number of seizures that the kids would experience. That just came out there yesterday from Professor uh, David Nutt over in the UK. I mean, look at look, look at Ava's Ava's story that's been covered, uh, you know, very extensively here, and when what her mum Vera went through and all that. Uh, anyway, the, the upshot of it all is you you have you have now a drugs conviction uh, for personally having a nodge worth ten euros worth of cannabis, and that can't get you to uh, fulfil the potential of your honours degree, I guess, uh, Martin. Exactly, and to fulfil my, my, my duty to my, my kids also, I would love to be able to provide for my kids, but I'm, I'm limited in my ability to do that, and it's uh, it, it's not fair in them. There's so many unintended victims here of this war on drugs. It, my kids, and including Farah and all of the other people out there, prevented access to what is shown to be a very effective medicine. Okay, so you couldn't get into the maternity hospital even if you wore a hazmat suit, uh, but no problem banging you into court in a crowded condition. Uh, to put a drugs endorsement on your passport for 10 euros worth of cannabis. Yeah. There you go. Okay, got to leave it there. Martin, thanks, thanks very much. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. It's coming up on 13 minutes to 12 now. We're back in a moment with uh, a great story about a long, long walk. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. 10 to 12. Good morning. Ger Hennessy's on line two. Hi, Ger. Good morning. Hello, good morning. Oh, well, some people go for a stroll on the bank holiday weekend, some people go to the beach, some people might even take their camper van somewhere. You're going to walk uh, just a little distance from Cork to Tralee. So That's Cork, right, I am. To Killarney, is it? No, um, overall it's actually 210 kilometres I'm yeah. walking. I'm walking from Cork to Killarney tomorrow. From That's first, and then on to Tralee. And I'm doing the Ring of Kerry Saturday. And I'm finishing up in Cremont. Saturday evening, and I'm going from Cremont then into Tralee on Sunday, where we meet in the Meadowlands Hotel. And you're doing all this for a very worthy cause called? Bumblings. Okay, tell us all about Bumblings. Now, Bumblings is a service that a lot of people haven't heard of, and it's a special service because there's, uh, what it does, it actually helps family with their very sick children. There's some children can't be transported, they'll go from hospitals, and to, for them to do Sorry, no, my apologies. I'm actually nervous. No problem. Relax. <sighs> Thank you. But um, what, it, what it is, is it, it's a service. It helps the families with their very sick kids. There's the angel service. There's the chemo cab. There's many other services. There's the 
the angel trips, you have everything. And the angel trips consist on playstations, taking kids out of hospital for the day, out of their homebound and get them out. But it all costs money to keep these services going. Sure. Okay, I mean, not to, not to put too fine a point on it, an angel trip is designed for, uh, in the most cases, a terminally ill child who's making his or her kind of final journey on earth oh. before before he or she grows their angel wings, if you like. That's exactly it. And do you know what? As I'll be honest, so when this came to light, it was actually Tina Berry. I were actually all in a group chat, and we've all met through TikTok. And but all we were, came very close, and Tina actually got up the four more months, and she said, I'm actually interested in raising a few bob there for a charity called Bumblings. I actually knew nothing about it. So I've seen it around the, the uh, time on fire trucks and ambulances. Mm hmm. So, but in reason, oh, yeah, yeah, I have no problem. I actually slagged it off. I'll walk to the headquarters. So, at the start, everyone thought it was Kiki. So, I said, yeah, look what I'll do. And we'll kind of take it off. And next thing, it was truly way out to the headquarters. Well, okay. I found it was very short because Kilkey, where I was walking, was 186 kilometres. And we had it all mapped out and all that. So, when it was truly, it was 101 kilometres. So, I said, I tried to ring a Kerry, trying to make a few bob for this. And... Very, being honest with you, the way things are going for the last six weeks, we are over, we're about nine and a half thousand euro. Nine and a half thousand already. Now, most importantly, before we run out of time, how can people support this very worthy initiative? Yes, because yes, what, yes. what these ambulances do, they're, they're kind of dressed up like, like bumblebees, if you like, or wazzies, That's right. as they'd say in Cork. Parents would often have to drive themselves home with their loved ones or take a taxi, uh, you know, with a terminally ill child. Not really a viable option for many families during such a devastating and heart, heart-wrenching journey. That's where Bumblins comes in. How can people support you? No, that's what we're after doing for the last six weeks. We've had, uh, there's a, uh, just a PayPal inside in TikTok under all of our names, Ger Hennessy, Tina Berry, Gareth Berry, Shane Kiernan, uh, or Antoinette O'Sullivan from Kerry. There's, we're from all over the country, lads. And then if you go into Facebook for Tina Berry, she has a PayPal on her link in Facebook. And it's open. It's actually open to everyone. And all the videos and information and what we're after doing over the last number of weeks and what's yet to come it's after being absolutely amazing lads and what we're after doing is fantastic and especially everyone alright sir and thank you so much lads for giving me a chance I'm very very nervous thanks a million we, look, we, we may speak to you next week to see what, what, what the uh, the total is at and how you got on walking to Tralee but well done for Bumblings Thank you very much, and I do appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Ger. Safe walking. Now, that is Ger Hennessy walking to Tralee for Bumblins. Now, with uh, Cork reopening, Irish hospitality needs our support, and Musgrave Marketplace have given us some lovely prizes to give away. Today, it's a €150 Euro voucher for Sutton's Bar and Bistro at Rogerstown Park Hotel. Musgrave Marketplace have a 145-year heritage uh, in the market and encouraging us to show uh, our support by dining out. They and their 680 Irish suppliers are uh, instrumental in getting the country back on its feet hospitality-wise and they're proud to support the reopening of the Irish hospitality industry. We'll open the lines now. You need to identify these three sick tunes. Okay, and uh, you can get calling now on one eight five zero. 104106 and uh, we'll take one call before we uh, finish up oh we got a text about Jer Jer we love you well done fair play he's one in a million uh, says Nicola uh, do we have Paddy on uh, on the line about the uh, trip to Cork 
No, we're just waiting for the competition. Okay, I'll just keep talking about Musgrave Marketplace. As Cork reopens, uh, Irish hospitality is needing our support. We've given away 150 euro voucher for Coppergrove and Bandon. Uh, one already for Sutton's Bar and Bistro at Rochestown Park Hotel. Another one right now. One for the Maritime Hotel in Bantry. And we'll have one tomorrow for Ramen, fresh to walk. And uh, all of our daily winners will be in with a chance of winning a trip and uh, a 500 euro voucher for the Breton Hotel in Killarney. Let's go to our lines and to Finbar O'Sullivan, who is in Clonacilty. Hiya, Finbar. Oh, Mick, how are you? Oh, very good. What do you think? Will I play him one more time just to give everybody a listen? Here we go. Okay, they're very tightly stitched together. What do you think? The bill. Hawaii 5-0 and line of duty. What's the first one? The bill. The bill. Hawaii five yeah. O. Remember Steve McGarrett? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jack Lord, I, I think he was actually born in Cove. Uh, that was the I old. The, that was the old yeah, a, Hawaii Five O. Yeah, there was a connection with Cork, right somewhere with him. Yeah, yeah. Give me those three again. Listen to me, check the bill. Yeah, Hawaii Five O and Line of Duty. Book him down. Well done, Finbar O'Sullivan and Tonic Kilty. We have Sutton's Bar and Bistro, 150 euro voucher to give you at the Rochestown Park Hotel. And we'll have more from this competition tomorrow. Thanks, Finbar, and good morning. The programme was... Thank you very uh, much. Thank you very much. The programme was produced by uh, our wonderful production team, led by Brenda Dennehy and uh, with Mark Willington and Seamus Whelan. Thanks to them. We're back tomorrow after News at 9, but News at Midday is next. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.